We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Auckland, Hooker versus Felder. I'm your resident tout, uh, way in tout, Paul Shaughnessy, joined in studio by noted. Weigh in bet serial donator Cody Safton. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you uh, for reminding me for that Paul Shaughnessy. Might as well square up my bill right now. I don't yeah. even, you know what? I One guy fucking misses weight on the entire card. It's Ray Borg. Yeah, what can you do? I mean, well, I, I, thought, I think it was like a 50 50 proposition. I'm shocked that you gave me three to one. I only want two to one from you. No, no. That's no, what no, I was no, willing no, to no, give bet's you. Bet, bet's a bet, that's what bet, I was willing bet, to give you. No, no. I don't want your 300. No, I don't care. A bet's take. a bet. Take some back. This is Canadian money. People are like, what's, what's I got this? some American, too, but yeah, what's that? You know how Here, take that back. No, I, was I don't. You, I was giving you two to one. Well, then you're going to have to bet me something on this card. Uh, the well, only there's, way. There's you're letting the, me redeem there's myself. There's no Ray Borgs for missing way here. You put the, the weigh-in tout on the spot. We'll anyway. find a fight we disagree on. All right. But well, still, a, be, a bet is a bet. Speaking of winners and winning money. Who else won? We have, uh, so we've been doing that Rate Your Podcast, whatever site that you do the, the podcast uh, rating on. You give the episode a like. You go leave a five-star review, something you like about the show. B Rizzle. Apparently, there was only like two people who actually did this. So you had a B Rizzle, B underscore W R I Z Z L E. Hundred dollars to you. Like this is the easiest one for anybody to win. You just have to figure out how to go online, <laughs> give this a five star review, say something nice about the show, and uh, and yeah, Pat's Pat's just handing out cash. And then there was this is here's the I got a greasy theory on this next one here. We got uh, Doctor Footy. Winning for the second straight week for the regular giveaway, which is giving the episode a like, leaving your DK oh, handle, back and to backs. whatever it was last week. Here's my greasy theory. Pat knew that we were on to him with Lockport. Dr. Footy is Lockport, and Pat is 
continuing to just give away twenty dollars. I was going to, to Lockport Gambino Ford under the name Doctor Footy. My greasy theory is that Pat is actually into feet. Maybe that's a fetish <laughs> of his, his. And Doctor Footy is his go-to hookup. What else do we have on the list of things to do? Oh, the Custies. Tim Anderson says a lot of crazy shit. I don't know. A lot, a lot of our MMA fans, maybe they don't tune into the other stuff. Tim Anderson, noted insane person at the Pat insane. Mayo Experience here. Every single year what we do is we take all of his most outrageous uh, things that he says, tweets, whatever, and then we have like an award ceremony where it's basically like a two-hour roast of, uh, of Tim Andercust. So the Custies voting is live. The... Uh, the link for that is in the description. Thanks to Rob MCI sixteen, Rob McIntyre, who takes care of all of that. All right, perfect. Like, he, this guy keeps track of like everything Tim says over the course of a year. Like he's got it documented. This guy's got like a legit like notebook. It's great. And people say Tim's the insane one. Whoa, whoa! No kidding. No, it's he's funny just like to, he's just funny a super, to look yeah. Back he's a great, great guy. He comes on to the Pat's uh, uh, good Pat's uh, challenge shows as well. He's a real. Podcast or a real MTV The Challenge expert, mm. um, unlike me, who just says crazy things. Uh, what else? We oh, winners for this week. Cody, you told me that you had a uh, a DK giveaway. So last week, the question was who shit in your apple pie from two forty six, and then going the into this was card, <laughs> Tim Means. No, no, no. It was who who shit in your apple pie. No, from no, I know. I'm saying right. the the right answer was probably Tim Means. No, it's obviously Pereira. I mean, he's got this thing in the bag. Yeah. You could he gotta did. get him at minus one sixty. Was great. Great odds, and he decides to get himself DQ'd. Unbelievable. So here's the thing. You talk to anybody, and they say, oh, man, the courage it takes to get into the cage. That's always the argument. But the question this week is, is what Diego Sanchez did by hearing, oh, I can get out, take the easy way, and get the win. Is that a veteran-savvy move, or is that a puss-puss move? Explain in the, you're the section below. And, yeah, again, people will always say just getting in there makes you so courage. But, but we watch – Every week, guys put it on the line and break their hands and break their feet and get kicked and everything to continue. And Diego Sanchez has made a career of putting we it on are, the line. We are hundred thousand really dollars side- bonus, man. We are going to get really sidetracked if uh, if we really go into this topic. Why don't we save this topic for the end of the show? Because well, I do have things that I have section. to say about that. With regards to who it is and, and the situation, but we got to go down the rabbit people, hole. People, yeah, we don't want, we'll, we'll talk about this for like 10 minutes if, if you let me go right now. So let's get, yeah, you'll see in the description, it'll say like Diego Pereira controversy. And we'll, yeah, it's in the description. Okay, Look but in the, the question, description. The question for that. this week is our fans' take on it. Yeah. Was it a plus plus move or veteran savvy play, smart decision, good on them? So yeah, give the episode a like. Leave your DK handle and answer Cody's question. Let's get in the main event. We have Dan Hangman Hooker taking on Paul Felder. Dan Hooker, minus 150 favorite. Paul Felder is plus 130. What's your take here? Yeah, so tape studying this fight is a bit of a rabbit hole. It's just how much do you believe that the leg kicks are going to play a big part? With Dan Hooker, I mean, God, he looks on fire. He's not totally a young prospect at this point. He's 30 years old. But you look back at a couple fights ago, and he's knocking out Jim Miller. He's knocking out Gilbert Burns. He's on his rise. He's taking out these guys quickly. He's making a name for himself, and he runs into Edson Barbosa. And what's the big thing that kills him in that fight? Sure, the body work. But above all else, it's just like, man, because he stands so tall, because he's such a, a lanky built fighter, his legs are just there on display to get kicked. And Edson Barbosa, one of the best kickers in the division, just absolutely carves up his legs, hurts him. Once he's not able to move as much, he's just like a sitting target. He's and a now, zombie. yeah, and now, dude, he stands just like so upright that, 
Barbosa does everything in his power to knock him out with a KO, right? It's just unfortunately this guy can take everything. So his corner is just like, dude, just go back to the go to the body. Working with the body, he'll go down. And eventually, yeah, he succumbs to the body punches. But he's such a hittable target when he's not able to move. And if you work his leg kicks, he's not able to move. So how does that play into Paul Felder? Well, Paul Felder is a fucking really good kicker as well. Like if you watch a number of his fights, I mean, he sets up the low kicks well, inside kick, legs, outside kick. The biggest example is going to be two fights back for him when he fights James Vick. And it's like he folds James Vick with that low calf kick. So one has to imagine that in a three-round fight, I'm thinking maybe it's not as big of a deal, right? But in a five-round fight, it's like Paul Felder is... hold up. They're both cast iron. So one has mm-hmm. to imagine that this is going to go later. I mean, Felder does not get knocked out. He doesn't get submitted. So you have to finish him due to cut stoppage is the only way anybody's able been able to do it. But also, that being said, he gets cut in almost all of his fights. Like, mostly head clashes, but he bleeds in all of his fights. So... In New Zealand, in Auckland, by the way, Dan Hooker from Auckland, like he's mm-hmm. at his hometown. He's not one of these Australian fighters we're going to talk about that we're going to like, they might get the rub. Like he's physically from there. He's headlining the car for a reason. If there's blood everywhere and these are close rounds, like I don't want to go back to the whole hometown cooking argument, but he will be getting the rounds. He's durable. It's whether Felder can convincingly destroy mm-hmm. his legs and then open him up later as the fight goes. And, then and make it guy. definitive enough that if a crowd is really getting excited about one side, anything that they land, we saw it. A whole bunch last week as well. Um, yeah, I'm kind of right on the exact same page with you. I think uh, I really my initial thought was I really wanted to be on on Dan Hooker, but yeah, Felder's smart. He's cerebral. This guy's in the in the broadcast booth for a reason. He really, I just you know listening to interviews of him, he's like well put together dude. Oh yeah, smart game plan. He's He's got all the tools, definitely. Like, this fight's going to be an absolute war. If I had to pick a side, what I'm doing is I'm going with, yeah, we're in New Zealand. This is his, this is his moment. I know that neither one of these guys is going is to quit on me. If this goes to the scorecards, I'll lean to the hometown rub just a little bit. But, yeah, it should be a real firecracker. All the way around. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be a close competitive fight. But again, if it is going to be a close competitive fight, then you kind of go with Hooker. Now, the other reason that I am also going to back Hooker on this, even though I think it is a tight spot, minus 150, not a bad price tag, but Hooker's got just a lot more output than Felder. And I think that's eventually going to show here. I mean, we talk about the Barbosa fight where he got lit up, but it was the fact that Barbosa landed 126 significant strikes versus very respectable 86 significant strikes landed through for Hooker, and it didn't even go three full rounds. So, I mean, like, he's got that output, but he's rebounded since then. And then you look at his last fight against Ally Quinta, it's like he just, he himself has learned from the low kick game and has started employing the low kick himself. You know, he stuns Ally Quinta. He hurts him with punches. He mm-hmm. hurts him with kicks. He makes it a stand-up affair, even when the fight does hit the ground. Like, he's dominating a guy who, I guess, is only a purple belt in gi jiu-jitsu. But Ally Quinta's from a jiu-jitsu camp, uh, training alongside a lot of notable guys, and he, he's good on the ground. He's a good grappler. So, I mean, he kind of showed a little bit of everything in that fight. But if you look at that fight, it's 98 significant strikes versus just the 37 for Ally Quinta. So where, is, where I'm drawing the comparison here is that Felder, in many ways, kind of reminds me a lot of Ally Quinta. Like, he's got good punches, he's got good kicks, he's a little bit bigger than him. He likes to throw the spinning stuff, but yeah, he's, he's never a volume game with yes, him. Yes, yes, but his now his last two fights, uh, he beats Edson Barbosa. He got outstruck in the Barbosa fight. It is really close. He wins a split. You can most definitely make an argument for Edson Barbosa winning. Mm-hmm. Media seems to be split on that one. Fans are virtually split on the one. It was a split decision. Rewatching it, it's like you can make the case for both guys. But he is getting taken down by Edson Barbosa, which we didn't really expect. And as well, he did physically get outstruck in that fight. But he only lands 56. The fight prior to that with James Vick, 
He actually gets outstruck James, by James Vick, 61 to 55. Now, he wins a decision against James Vick. And here's the notable thing about James Vick here is that he's on a four-fight losing streak. Three of the guys have completely fucking rendered him unconscious. Mm -hmm. Paul Felder is the only guy that took him decision. His only prior loss prior to that in the UFC was Benil Dariush, who knocked him out. And he actually lost on the ultimate fire to Michael Chiesa, which was a TKO. So the only guy that's ever defeated him by decision or is Paul Felder. So maybe that speaks to, does he have the power to take out Hooker? who we just t saw take everything, including the kitchen stick against Barbosa. I don't know. Maybe you leave him in the fight too long that the punching numbers eventually start to add up, and now you're looking at it saying, geez, Felder lands 50-60 at best. The Perry fight, he loses to Mike Perry, by the way, but he got struck by Perry 62-56. to mm. So his last three fights, he's landed 56-55-56. It's the same thing from Paul Felder. It's effective in spots, winning tight decisions, but he doesn't fight five-round fights, and you've got to think that the longer it plays out, it's got to go volume. So minus 150 for the hometown guy at home. He's, he's right the ship since that loss to Barbosa. And the last he's thing... with a good camp of people yeah, that yeah. has... There's other Paul Felders or, like, prototypes like that at City Kickboxing. I know that he runs, like, his own gym, but he spends a ton of time with Israel and Volkanovski and all those guys. Yeah, and this card also has a lot of guys from that camp as well. Yeah. So, you know, they're all trained together. I mean, he spent time at Elevation in, in Colorado as well. He has branched off, and I really think that he's only 30 years old. He's putting it together. Paul Felder's 35 years old. Paul Felder's last fight against Edson Barbosa, the first judge fucking announces it 30-27 for Edson Barbosa. The second judge announces it 29-28 for Paul Felder. The third judge announces it 30-27. So who do you think won this fight? Yeah. Edson Barbosa. Felder has this look on his face like, son of a bitch. But it's 30-27 Felder. So strange you get a 30-27 both ways. But it was a close fight. Whatever. He gets the 30-27. They come over to him. He's crying. John Anik gives him the microphone. And he says, you know what? I don't got to be here. I don't got to be doing this. I could be acting, he suggests. I could be doing these broadcasts, doing the color. I don't have to be here. I only want a big fight in my next fight. I want McGregor. I want Khabib. I want Gaethje. Or I want Tony Ferguson. But he gets Dan Hooker, right? I mean, Dan Hooker called him out after his last fight while he was getting yeah, interviewed. Yeah, yeah. And, and Felder's been the play-by-play -play guy on a couple of Hooker's fights. So yeah. it's like there's, there's an understanding of both guys. Like, both guys feel like they know each other. But Felder was looking at this like, I'm 35. I want that big fight. I yeah, want to try course. to get a title fight. I don't want to fight an up-and-comer. Hooker's not really an up-and-comer at this stage. But He's it's a main event spot for Felder. Who, and it's his first main event spot. Would, yeah, I so saw on something. Twitter that he was just like, it's, hey, ma, I made it kind of thing. Like, he's on, finally, you know, the featured face on a poster. Yeah, so ever so slightly, I'm going to lean Hooker. Yeah. And Hooker by decision. He couldn't try to get some extra value, I think. Yep, I like where your head's at on that. We have uh, me, I can never get this guy's right now. Mikhail Olszejczyk. Oleksychuk? Oleksychuk. I'm sorry to to the Polish aficionados out there. I'm you know I, I'm pretty good with the Karolina Kovalkiewicz or the Jan Blakovich. If it ends in a vich, I'm good. I think it's, it's Lechuk. Lechuk. Sure. Michelle takes on Jimmy Crute. Michelle's a minus one thirty five favorite. Crute plus one fifteen. Michel's a real, like, bomber bust, comes at you super aggressive to start the fight, but we saw against OSP that, like, if he doesn't put you out early, he loves, like, digging digging those lefts to the body. He loves like, doing the body work. I love Nasty. it. I love it. It's really exciting. Like, he's aggressive as all hell, but he better have worked on his gas tank because after that first round, you're like, all right, he's slow, and then, like, halfway through segment, like, he was, he was, like, dead. 
you knew it was only a matter of time. Then OSP is able to completely control him in the clinch, lands a couple knees up the middle, and it was kind of all over from there. Sets him up with the Von Prue choke. That Von Prue, baby. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I like... I like Michel. If he's going to win, it's going to be early. I don't feel like I have the need to bet him here. Jimmy Crew, you know, he was, like, using his grappling against Paul Craig. That was a competitive fight against Paul Craig, even. (sighs) Buddy, that fight was Uh, Misha, we were on on Misha in that follow-up, where it's like, Misha, we just thought there was just a different level of grappling. We were right on that. He's going to go to the grappling here. I would say my general approach here is I want to see this first round play out. It would maybe be a croup bet if in between rounds if like Ola Jacek is gassed, but I don't know. He may just put it on him early. Like this guy's super aggressive. Like he beat uh, Khalil Roundtree in a striking yeah, contest. Yeah. Like I think he can compete. Like I think he's gonna have a big advantage on the feet. Um, so yeah, the initial pick was like. Well, as Jay Chuck, I just don't know if I'm going to bet it yet. What about you? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm kind of feeling going the other way and having Jimmy Crew. When I look at Michelle uh, Olechuk, we can call him Mo, M-O. When I look at him, he's a poor man. Maybe not a poor man's version, but he's just like Nikita Krylov. Like, he comes in, has a sweet striking pedigree. Yeah, less kicks. Yeah, he's more to the punches and he loves working the body. But he comes out, he's a European prospect that has an entire record that mostly consists of... Krylov's a little bit of a more potent finisher when he was on the regional scene. But it's like he comes out here and he either finishes you in the first round, maybe finishes you early in the second round, or his gas tank just seems to absolutely fall apart. Now, the Khalil Roundtree fight is interesting because, one, he actually went the decision in that fight. Didn't look like he got too tired. But the two things that consider is, A, he tests positive after the fight, so we don't know how much of that cardio I in mean, that, that one fight was I mean, that guy's body needed. didn't look like he was, like, taking the good steroids, at least. No, but the stuff that gives you more gas in the tank isn't necessarily the ones that give you <laughs> more help, muscle, right? Didn't help him with that either against OSP. Well, I'm saying is that he tested oh, positive that, yeah. after that for Roundtree, so now he's a clean athlete, fair, yeah. and he's been finishing guys like Jean Volante in the first round, but now that OSP... By the way... <clears throat> He puts it on OSP in that first round. Like, he's bombing him. He hurts him to the body. He's kicking his ass. Unfortunately, when he fails to finish him in the first round, his game completely falls apart. Going back to that round tree fight as well is that even if he would have fatigued, there was no way he was going to be more fatigued than Khalil Roundtree. Like, Roundtree completely gassed out two minutes into that fight and offered absolutely nothing for him. So it's easier for him to kind of look better in that fight. Since then, we've gotten quick finishes, and yes, against OSP, OSP's got a way of snapping on that Von Prue, and he's submitted guys similar to him, like Nikita Krylov. He's submitted better grapplers than Nikita Krylov and Alekchuk um, with his submission game. You know, he's not a bad grappler, but Jimmy Crute, still only 23 years old, brown belt BJJ, under a good coach, ever improving. The Paul Craig fight, dude, it's all over the place, but you got to give him credit. Like, he hits a number of sweeps on Paul Craig. He tries a number of submission attempts. That head and arm triangle choke, it's tight, and then he eventually submits him with a Kimura. Like, he just chains together his submissions. He's young. He's opportunistic. He seems to have a good gas tank. As far as the striking goes, it's a work in progress. He likes to mostly just chuck bombs from range, try to try to close that gap and get a hold of you, but, I mean, Sammy Greco, the three-time world kickboxing champion, slamming Sammy Greco, is his striking coach, right? They're high up on this kid. He's 23, and and Elekchuk is 24. So this is really two green prospects that are developing. Shouldn't be in a co-main event spot. But I'm I mean, surprised this is so going to be a very going to be a fun fight. I don't agree with the placement on the card. But as far as the three-round fight between two prospects, who uh, one you know they're both coming off losses, which one's going to take that step forward and advance, and which one's not? But when I look at Elekchuk, he's really just 
a striker who seems to have a bit of a front runner three to five minutes of just nasty striking in him whereas like Jimmy Crew can kind of do it all a little bit like his wrestling at least something to be desired but his grappling is good uh, his striking's okay he seems to have a very good chin the Misha fight he gets submitted with that Peruvian necktie yeah but he actually gets out of an armbar he has an armbar escape he has a second escape where he gets up he ends up on top of Misha he's bombing Misha with dirty ground and pound mm-hmm. and then Misha hits a leg lock sweep ends up on top slaps on that Peruvian necktie Misha's the best grappler in the division as far as just grappling goes and uh you know is a legitimate black belt and this guy's a 23 year old brown belt from australia so there's a work to be done there but when you look at the improvements that he makes, like in between he, he beats paul craig and it's sloppy <laughs> he comes out after that and he knocks out sam alvey sam alvey at 205 ain't you know cast iron sam alvey at 185 but silly and it's kind of an early stoppage but all the same it's just like there's that striking i was talking about we just saw the grappling against paul craig now we see the striking in Sam Alvey, and now we see a little bit of it both against Misha. Unfortunately, it doesn't go his way. I feel like the move in this fight is if, if my, Michelle comes out it, like he does honest. in most of his fights, he'll probably win round one. And then you try to hit Crute um, in the round one window live. That's probably how I'm going to approach this fight, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, yeah. And with Jimmy Crute, um, he, he's there to be hit. So yeah, I, I don't necessarily doubt. hit I don't like, doubt by decision or anything in that because he could get the finish. He could get decision. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that's him. probably my approach to this fight as we, as we head into it. Sorry, you have anything no, else? No, yeah. I, I could see Jimmy losing that first round. It's yeah. just, I feel like Michael comes out hot. Michael will have to get the first round. Lord Michael will have to get that first round finish or he leaves Jimmy in the fight. Producer and then, Zach loves the nicknames by the way lord michael against but, jimmy the yeah, brute crew he was telling he was telling me who was gonna win based on their nicknames and he liked he liked the lord apparently over the brute well we just need jimmy to fight worth. a good game plan and he hasn't shown high ring iq so far in the ufc but he's shown that he's developing and the lot the last thing i'll throw on this is whereas michael's been a decision a few times he hasn't learned from it like he he is still that front runner jimmy had finished all of his fights on the regional scene in the first round he finishes contender series fight in the first round. Yep. That fight against Paul Craig was the first time he got extended. And then since then, he beat Sam Alvey in the first round. And the fight with Misha ended in the first round. Like, we don't know where his cardio is shored up either. So, like, could this be a one-round banger and they both get tired? Like, I don't know. But all I'm, all I'm breaking it down to is it's dog or pass. Either I want no part of it yep, or fair. I want the underdog because it's a 50-50 fight in my eyes. So I'll take the plus 115 Jimmy Crude. We got Jan Janan taking on Karolina Kovalkiewicz. Jan Janin is minus 260 favorite. Carolina is plus 220 underdog. Who do you got here? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to get behind Carolina when obviously her mindset's just not in it anymore. I was actually surprised she didn't retire after her last fight. I mean, the best years for Carolina are clearly behind her, former title challenger. We know that she's gotten to the highest point, but at this point, like, she's never going to get back to title contention. She's not a top five fighter in the division. It's like, is it worth it for her to still come and compete and train at the highest level? And like, I, I don't know. The level of opposition that she's been facing recently has just been not going down it's just that she's not one of those top fighters in the division anymore we used to compare her with the likes of joanny and jacek we used to compare her but after getting smoked out by claudia gadelia after getting smoked out by jessica andrage it's like okay andrage may have been a a career changer like that was about as vicious of a knockout as you'll see in the women's strawweight division right so now it's like okay she's regulated to where she can still fight up and comers and she can still fight girls that are kind of mid mid mid-range in the division but, I mean, even just watching the fight with, say, Alexa Grosso, it's, or, or you go the Andrade fight, she loses. Michelle Watterson and, and um, Alexa Grosso. 
breaking down those fights, there's no way she's going to outstrike Michelle Waterson or Alexa Grosso. The path to victory if she's going to win these fights is she would probably have to get the fight to the ground. Or get inside, do what she did against Rose Namajunas. Get on the inside, utilize the clinch. I wish I could, I wish, sorry, I, no, no, I was no, kind of no, cutting no, you go, off. No, you can, go for it. Go all for right. It. There is, I think there's a path here for her to win. The problem is I just don't, I don't believe in her at this stage, and I don't know if she has the performance that she did against Rose back in the day when she's like plus 270 underdog in that spot. Um, that and got her the title fight. Based on how, how everything else played out, like it's kind of crazy that she beat Rose and Amayunas um, in that fight. And it was getting in close, u- utilizing the clinch, winning in those dirty exchanges. You watch Yan uh, Nan's fight against Angela Hill, and that's where Angela Hill had her best success by initiating the clinch and, and fighting in close like that. Yan Nan, really, really fast, crisp striker on the feet, not going to really struggle with her gas tank all that much, but she's still kind of green. She makes some, like, questionable decisions. Like, when she gets into the clinch, she kind of panicked. One time she, like, pulled guard there. Like, I see a path for Carolina here. I just don't know if we have the same Carolina that we had three years ago. I don't know if... I think her athleticism may have dropped, jumped off a cliff. And that is where my hesitation is. But for me, it's Dogger Pass. Yeah, well, see, that's, that's, that's where I'm coming, coming from as well, is that the version that fought Joanna, that's her at 30 years old. Now she's 34 years old. That was four years ago. And since then, it hasn't been pretty. It hasn't. I mean, you look outside of the Andrade and Claudia blowing her out of the water. It's just like, okay, those are the top contenders. The, Michelle Watterson is a top contender. Also, it's just she didn't even try to take her down. Then you get the Alexa Grasso fight. Okay, Alexa Grosso loves just to stand, throw punches, likes to counterpunch, a little bit of a kicking game, but you need to get inside, clinch this girl up, get her to the ground. She attempts zero fucking takedowns. She attempted zero takedowns in the prior fight against Michelle Watterson as well. So basically, she just seems cool standing there and getting hit. And at 34 years old, it's just that. The athleticism's fallen off. She's not the fastest fighter out there. Because I give her the ground advantage here. Yeah, Angela Hill ended up on top. Angela Hill scored takedowns. Why not go that avenue? Angela Hill at the end of round two (coughs) even had her up against, like there was a takedown scramble back to the feet, and then Angela Hill has her up against the cage and starts landing knees and elbows and stuff in close as they close out round two as well. Like the the hole that, that Carolina can exploit, if she still got it, is definitely there. Yes, but now here's another issue that I keep coming to, right? When you look at her fights... Uh, Alexa Grosso and Waterstone were decision. She lost the Andrade fight. She got knocked down the first round. Her wins, Felice Herrig, Jody Escabel, both that decision. The wins prior to that, Rose Namajunas, Heather Clark, Ronda Marcos, all decision. Prior to that, coming to the UFC, two split decision wins over Inoue and Kalindra Farian. Yeah. She hasn't finished an opponent in six years. Oh, yeah, she's not finishing a sandwich. She's not, not finishing yeah, finish anything. So that, that idea that she could surprise Jan... Definitely possible. But to surprise her, I would think it's like you need to bang. It's just like, oh, didn't see that coming. You catch her. It's like, geez. Yeah, it's going to be. If she gets a takedown, let's say. Let's say she gets a takedown. She dominates her in the first round with that takedown. In the second and third round, like, Jan has a good gas tank and just throws bombs, man. Like, that's one thing that I really took away from the Angela Hill fights. Like, Angela Hill is known for, first of all, she takes. Yeah, yeah, good durability. She takes fights on short notice. It's no problem for her. She's always in good shape. And she's got a good striking acumen. You got to bully her and use your grappling if you want to beat her clean. Otherwise, she's going to give you a tough fight. She can strike with the best of them and be in the fight at all times. That's where she does her best work. But every time she hits Jan, it doesn't do anything. Every time Jan wings one of these shots at her, it's like she's backing her up. She's very, very strong 
strong for the division. And that's where I feel like Carolina has been having troubles is that when she was taking Ro- Rose is a martial artist. She's not very physically strong. She's a great martial artist, right? When she takes on physically strong opponents, she's got nothing to offer them. She's not physically strong enough to get them to the ground, hold them to the ground, work them over on the ground. I don't think and as far as the striking, anything spectacular I, in terms of strength. Fair, fair. But uh, watching a lot of these Sonda strikers, it's upper body strength. So I feel like even though she's shown holes in her clinch game, I feel like she's going to be strong enough to just separate, get out of there, punch her way out. Carolina, the other issue is watching her fights is that she's wearing a lot more damage these days. You know, like she's bruising up. She's getting, it, it all just comes down to she's getting hit. She doesn't move her head particularly well. As much as I do have Yawn, it's either a flat pass or you're going to have to try to get Yawn on. I'm not even comfortable on decision. Just in case Carolina is looking at a fourth straight loss, she has one foot out the door. Maybe she's her durability. hungry because of that. Well, I don't know. I don't know. But I wouldn't take I wouldn't take Yawn by decision or knockout. I would just take Yawn if I if, if I was comfortable with picking her. But the price tag is very much we're certain Carolina is washed up. Yeah. Whereas, like you're saying, if she shows us a glimmer of what she can do, what she's capable of doing. Yeah. Why couldn't she win this fight? But it, another it, fight that maybe in a live market, I'd she be interested looks very in. uninterested, and that's yeah, yeah. That's you have to see something look. from her, see her like get into the clinch real fast into the fight. I don't know. We'll see how it all shakes out as the week plays on. But let's move on down. We've got uh, dusty heavyweights. We got Marcos Rogerio de Lima minus one forty five. He's taking on Ben Sassoli. Sassoli, plus 125, who you got here? Well, this is as dogger pass as you could possibly get. Like it's, it's a 50-50 fight. Both guys are absolutely horrid at this level. You know, there's levels to this stuff. Could Rogerio de Lima be on a Bellator undercard? Yeah. Could he beat some guy in LFA? Yeah. Could he could he play a journeyman type role somewhere? Yeah. And Ben Sassoli, I mean, he's 3-4 and four as a professional boxer. Uh, he's very young into his MMA career. He doesn't really got a whole lot of tangibles going for him, and he's proven that he's not at this level. The other problem is that he's six feet tall at 265 pounds, and clearly it just ain't working for him. Mm-hmm. So, like, they're both guys leave a lot to be desired, but... Uh, at least at Marcos Rogerio de Lima throws bombs. Yeah, but that's going to be But then he gasses out real fast. Well, that's going to be his problem. Like, he's got about four minutes of bombs, and if Sassoli can withstand that, I guess he takes over. I mean, this is about as high variance of a... Well, no, no, there's another one that's even more high variance, but this is a pretty high variance fight. It's like Marcos Rogerio de Lima, especially flying over to New... Like, I've been there. I spent eight months living yeah, and over only in got, New Zealand. Like, like, that seven flight, days ago. That flight is like 24 hours, man. Like, especially coming from the eastern seaboard of, of North America, he would be living in Brazil, so kind of... like no, that's probably a good, top team. He's been at Florida. He's been at Florida either months, way. Yeah. Still, like, you have to fly to L.A. from there. And then you probably have a little bit of a layover. And then from, from L.A. to Auckland is like 12 hours straight in the air. Like, that'll – I don't know when these guys are rolling in. That's something to have a look at if somebody gets a little bit – if somebody gets delayed, it takes a while to get into town because, like, that, uh, that jet light can absolutely torch you, man. Like, it's the other side of the world. Um, and, yeah, Delima is a gasser at the best of times. At the best of times. Yeah, well, um, well, the issue with Delima is that he's not ever proven to break away from who he is, which is one round of come out there and try to put it on you. And he was, uh, he seemed to be a good sized 205er, but he was never ripped, ripped in shape, was just like a big physically imposing guy, only six foot two, but I mean, you know, 
big, big, thick, solid dude. It just cardio didn't work for him. Now him moving up to 265 pounds, like the heavyweight limit, uh, he looks to be out of shape. I guess he figures it helps him on the cardio side of things because he's not cutting 30 pounds to try to make weight. His opponent also looks out of shape. Yeah, right. They both could be campaigning at 205 if they were really taking this seriously and giving forth their best versions of each other. Uh, I I just, there's so many intangibles in this. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, 100% a better grappler. And I would assume that the game plan is going to walk in, clinch up with this guy, press him up against the cage, peel him to the ground, and try to submit him. Yeah. That's, what, that's what I would think that the game plan but is. But doing that type of game plan as Marcos Rogerio de Lima, who has gas tank issues, what if you don't get the takedown? He's going to gas even faster. Right, right. And whereas Ben Sassoli's kind of got a little bit of an intangible going for him here is that he's six feet tall at 265 pounds, and his head coach is... Dan Kelly. So it's like, yeah, apparently he comes from a judo background, although everything I've seen from him is boxing and kickboxing. But you know he's at least going to be able to press his back up against the cage and try to keep himself from getting taken down. If he's not getting taken down, if they're just pummeling in the first round, if they're just pressing up against the cage, that's when he's, I think he's going to have an opportunity to take advantage. I mean, you look at Rogerio de Lima's last fight against Stefan Struve. Maybe he would have taken him down clean. Maybe he wouldn't have. But he just socks him with an overhand right, like three seconds into the fight. Strew falls down. He jumps on him, stays in guard for two minutes, passes over to half guard, stays in half guard for a minute and a half, moves to mount. He's in mount for 30 seconds. The round ends. He just took his time. He didn't mm-hmm. want to blow any energy. Unfortunately for him, it's like he let the first round expire, and now they're back standing. And once they were back standing, he was fucking gassed. Yeah. Struff takes him down. Once Struff took him down, it was nothing. I can see a similar situation here is that maybe he does take Sassoli down in the first round. If he doesn't finish Sassoli in the first round, then when the second and third round starts, it's like, okay, this guy's only going to sit there and chuck bombs at me, and I'm just too tired to keep doing this. In many ways— So your pick— I'm going to go Ben Sassoli. I'm going to go Ben Sassoli as the I'm dog go the player. I'm going to the other side. Well, it, it's, a dogger, f- it's a dogger pass, but for, you. for me— you're actually going to play the favorite on this. Wow. Um, I'm not going to bet him, but I'll probably play him on DraftKings. Okay. If you're going for a GPP, I'm sure you would, might want exposure to one side of this fight. But I'm going to tell you something about Ben Sosoli, right? Going into his last fight against Dan Hardy, uh, the word is, yo, everybody's <laughs> high up on Dan Hardy, and Dan Hardy just knocks out everybody. But we broke it down on this fight. Ben Sosoli had never been finished. This guy had been hit. Good chin, good durability. And the result is he barely even really got hit by Dan Hardy. Dan Hardy ends up getting a no contest because of the whole puffer thing. It is what Greg it is. Hardy. Sorry, yeah, yeah. What am I talking about? Dan Hardy. Yeah, Greg Dan Hardy. Dan Kelly, with, you're thinking of. Yeah, anyways, but the whole puffer issue, it's a no contest. He lost the fight clean by decision anyways, 30-27. But it's like he can take a punch, and he does a fairly good job of not sitting there and getting hit. So if Delima, and we've seen Delima 100 times, he just comes out there. And Chuck's bombs. That's I his striking style. I don't think Greg style. Hardy's he really a bombs. power puncher. I think we're all thinking of him wrong, though. He just bombed through some absolute scrubs at the beginning of his career. But I think what he, we saw against Volkov is definitely more what he actually is. Yeah. Well, maybe. I don't Mobile know. Mobile heavyweight. Anyway, Greg, we've, Greg, we've, Greg Hardy, though, is six foot five. We've been talking right? like 40 minutes probably about the first four fights here. We should probably move on in a bit. Okay. Well, Greg, Finish your last statement. Greg, Let's Greg go. Hardy's six foot five yeah. and a great athlete, right? Prior to that, he took on Dustin Joinson on Contender Series, who's six foot six. Now he's at least getting out of that six foot two. So I'm expecting to see more of his striking offense. It's a dogger pass. Either I want nothing to do with it again. Which is probably the smart path here, or I, I figure Sassoli's going to pull a junior Tafa and come in as some basic striker who pulls off a victory in the UFC. Yeah, we got Magomed Mustafaev taking on Brad Riddell. 
Brad Riddell is plus one hundred plus one twenty underdog. Magomed Mustafaev minus one forty. Uh, Magomed Mustafaev, where is this guy at? Is the real question, right? Because <laughs> like question. he was gone for like three years, and then he comes back and sends your boy Rafael Fiziev, the real the next dimension. Safdicked him real hard there. Send him to the real. next dimension with a spinning spinning shape. We always saw like back on the regional scene. This guy loves you know the spinning techniques, the flashy techniques. Not like your your prototypical like Russian wrestle wrestle grappler type of guy. More of a striker. Brad Riddell coming out of city kickboxing, um, high volume type of striker. Interesting fight all around. Do you have a, a, a strong lean in this one? No, I don't have a great lean in it. I'm tempted to say if you're going to bet on it that you go dog or pass because, again, I do believe this to be a 50-50 fight. You don't know what you're getting out of Mustafaev and that he fights very infrequently. I mean, the spinning back kick against Joe Proctor, whoa, huge power spinning technique, awesome. He loses to Kevin Lean by rear naked choke. He took almost three years off before coming back to take on Rafael Fazayev. And it's just like, yeah, you know what? I was on Rafael. I thought he was going to get him. He's the, Mo- he's the Tiger Muay Thai striking coach taking on Mustafaev, who nobody's seen in three years. And he hits him with a motherfucking spinning back kick only to the face. God damn. It's just like, is, it, is he a one-trick pony in that he can hit you with that one technique? Or it's like, what, what's the substance? In the Kevin Lee fight, uh, it's hard to say, oh, geez, Kevin Lee broke him down because it's a way different style. Kevin Lee's a wrestler, grappler, can strike. Brad Riddell is very much stand and strike yeah. with you. I mean, he's got a long, acumented, well-documented striking pedigree. And he himself is one of the striking coaches at City Kickboxing, right? So Magomed Mustafa, he, he can fight some of the best strikers. He can fight top-notch guys. He can catch them with some technique. But if this guy, if Brad Riddell's figured it out and he's not going to get caught by that one technique, like like you said, he's more of a volume guy and he's very clean and he should be able to pick him apart a little bit. The one thing I don't like about Brad Riddell is you watch some of his kickboxing fights and you watch his USC debut against Jamie Malarkey. He's like, he is fucking hittable, right? Mm-hmm. And when he does get hit, he's not getting knocked out, but like he, it staggers him. And Jamie Malarkey hits on a way different level than Magomed Mustafaev, who, if he hits you, is going to cause a copious amount of damage. So... You know what? I mean, like, Brad Riddell hasn't shown me anything to suggest that he's super chinny and will get knocked out. It's just he's playing with fire. But I do think that he should be able to outpoint him, outwork him ever so slightly to get a decision in New Zealand, which is the path that I figured this one's going to go with. I mean, he's got all his famous corner uh, and teammates with him. The vibe's going to be in his favor. He's just got to not get clean knocked out because otherwise it's going to be a striker versus striker matchup. Mustafaev could try to mix in the grappling. But I think that's going to lead to him tiring himself out. So I don't know that he goes to that game plan. And again... He, I, know, I think I like Mustafaev here. He knocks out Fazayev, right? And now he's taken off 10 months since then. Like, why would you knock out a guy in a minute and 26 seconds, get a $50,000 bonus, and then just fuck off for another 10 months again? Either he's banged up with injuries, or he's just like... Yeah, that, was, that was a like, really, really high-paced, high-volume fight. I, I got the dog. I feel like I got Brad Riddell... Bailed himself out a lot with like re- like in the grappling exchanges and stuff. I don't know if he's gonna have any sort of advantage in that here. I don't know. I think I'm Go leaning. Ahead. I'm leaning towards Musafiev in this spot. Yeah, to be perfectly honest. The guy was 28, left for three years. He's 31. Yeah, but what's he been? Maybe doing? he made a lot of improvements. Wow, well, I mean, he looked he was never like, bad. He looked, like he I always like liked his, him when he, he was coming. Like his last when he was coming up, I I liked what I saw for the most part on, from him. Also, I'm 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 seeing five months after the Fazio fight, he was supposed to fight Don Madge, and he pulled out. So again, when I speculated, maybe it's injury. It is injury. And why did he take off three years prior to returning? Probably due to injury. So yeah. you can take the injured guy. I'll take Brad Riddell at plus one twenty. 
And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be should be a fun fight, man. Regardless how it shakes up, it's going to be entertaining. Next one down the line, we've got Kevin Aguilar taking on Zubera Tuhugov. Pick him fight. Cody Saftik, who you got? I have no idea. This one right, is like, right, right. So, I don't know. So this but one, it's going to be a good one. Yeah, yeah. This one, I'd love to tell you, dog or pass. But they've got it perfectly marked out. Minus 110 this, both sides. Bookie always wins. Uh, it just depends who's physically watching the fight. Now, we're coming off events where... Oh, everyone's debating, did fighter A win, did fighter B win? Oh, what about the takedowns? Oh, but he got back up and he landed the bigger strikes. Oh, how did Derek Lewis win that? Well, he actually caused the damage. Yeah, but Latifi had the takedowns and the control. Like, that's what this fight comes down to. Tuhugov has proven that he does not care about being exciting. He's not a f- fantastic striker. He doesn't have big power, but he can get takedowns. When he gets takedowns, he just holds you down, man. He's not looking to ground and pound you. He's not looking to submit you but he can't take you down. That's where he's been having the big, biggest success. Flip side to that, when I look at uh, Kevin Aguilar, Kevin Aguilar is very entertaining. Good jiu-jitsu, good striking, seems to have good output, um, good cardio, fast guy. But the one thing is that like he leaves himself a little bit open for the takedown. In his last fight against Dan Ige, it was just like people were high up on him going into that fight, but mm-hmm. he is a better wrestler. He is a better grappler. And when Ige was able to take him down, great. When he's, Ige was able to just get him down by other, other means... He, he was able to take him. I feel like that's where Tuhugov... Ige spends a lot of time with Tuhugov. Yeah, and Tuhugov is just... I don't know if they've trained for this I, fight again, specifically, cause, but like they're all part of they're the... They're AKA the, the, guys. The, 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 they're the AKA guys, guys right? with Ali. It's him, yeah. it's Khabib, it's Dan Ige. It's like they all work together. Uh, I look at the Lerone Murphy fight. Split decision, draw, right? It's a split draw. A disappointing in a what sense. What happened to that guy? Yeah, I don't know. I took the fight on like a week's notice. Gave a great account of himself. I fucking picked him. Never showed up ever again. I don't... Yeah. Well, it's a 10-8 first round for Tuhugov. And then when the second round, Murphy wins just based on, you know, the scrambling, getting back up. His cardio held up. He had good striking. In the third round, third round's super close. The fact that the judges ended up giving it for Lerone Murphy is the reason why it was a draw. 10-8, two rounds for Murphy. You could also make the argument that maybe Tuhugov won. Regardless of that, he scored six takedowns in that fight. He was okay with, I'm not the better striker. I'll just go to the takedowns. Whether he should have won or shouldn't have won, it's going to come down to the fucking judge that's watching the fight. The fight prior to that, Hanato Moikano, he loses a split decision to Moikano, but he took down Moikano three times. It was mm-hmm. difficult to take down. It's like, the guy's takedowns aren't that bad. And I feel like that's going to be the path of victory over Kevin Aguilar. But Kevin Aguilar is going to be striking off of his back. He's going to be throwing up submissions. And therein lies the problem. If one judge watches the fight and says, geez, one guy's been on top for most of the round, another judge sitting next to him, not next to him, but, you know, on the other side of the cage, could be watching the exact same fight thinking, Aguilar's throwing up elbows from his back. Aguilar's trying to scramble. Aguilar's throwing up submission attempts. So, it, uh, honestly, it's a 50-50 fight. It could go both ways. I'd like to say this is another super exciting fight because Kevin Aguilar is usually in exciting fights. But to Hugov, he doesn't, he doesn't care. He'll just bring it. it he, he's trying to fight like Khabib three years ago. Mm-hmm. You know, just like secure position, dominate position. And then, you know, as time goes on, I'll secure position and fuck the guy up. But for the time being, I'm either going to sucker punch the guy when he's not looking, like the Conor McGregor shuffle, scuffle, or... Uh, or I'm just going to hold them down like his fights that are legitimate in the octagon. We got Jalen Turner taking on Joshua Kulabau. Jalen Turner, minus 210 favorite, Kulabau, plus 175. I believe Josh Kulabau trains out of Igor MMA, ran by Igor Volchenchen, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Um, I don't know. Watching, I don't watching know. some Is tape. It? I, I saw Igor Kulibau... MMA, but nobody else is from that gym. I, no, I thought I, I heard something on the broadcast, this Australian... The Australian broadcast of his last fight versus... I forget the name of the guy now. 
jobber. Total jobber. Total jobber. I mean, it looks like he at least, it, if it's a – this is the highest variance fight in my opinion because I think, like, there's going to be high – like, it's going to end up being kind of a brawl between these two guys and whoever lands the cleaner in, those, in that brawl is going to win. They both look like they'll go for it, but, like, Kulabau's faced absolute nobodies. And uh, Jalen Turner, I'm going to lean towards, not at that price, I don't want to bet it, but I'm going to lean towards him just based on athleticism. I think he's just much bigger for the weight class. And, and you know, he hasn't been exactly the greatest, but I've seen some sparkles of his ground game and everything kind of coming together. Kulabau just looks like he's going to have to bomb it, bomb on him from the inside if he's going to have a chance he's going to have to get a knockout um jalen jalen turner is the pick here but actually i think he's i feel pretty good about him to be perfectly honest i don't really? know if I'm gonna, i don't know if i'm gonna bet him but um i wasn't impressed with what i saw from cool about i'll just say that yeah well it's very hard to get a read on one guy who's fought his entire career on the australian regional scene against limited competition he's got two well he's got sorry he's got a notable win rodolfo marquez but Way past his yeah, prime. Marquez like, had like five straight losses. Oh yeah, he was good one. back in the day, fighting for Shudo and stuff. But yeah, like that ship has long past sailed. So that's it's not it's not a great win. He got the knockout in said fight. Um, but yeah, yeah, it's very hard to compare a guy whose most notable victory is him versus a guy in Jalen Turner who made his UFC debut on short notice against Vincente fucking Luque. You know, at least he's fought in high end guys. He's fought in the UFC. He's had three fights in the UFC. This is his fourth outing. Yeah, he's got to go take on that local guy. But, I mean, it's the local guy kind of coming in on short notice. Mm-hmm. I, I would have to say that logic for me, I, I'm, I'm straight passing on this, and I'm actually going with a lot of, um, it's purely narrative, purely narrative, right? You have remember, narrative street right behind you. Perfect. Remember two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were breaking down um, Austin Lingo, right? Austin Lingo versus the Moroccan Devils of Law. And we watched the tape on that. And Austin Lingo... Look pretty fucking good. He's fighting in LFA. He's a natural weight. He's a natural 145er. He's, you know, probably close to an LFA featherweight title shot. And he's taking on a short notice replacement. The fight got put on pretty short notice. But a guy that fought at 135, who's like one and two in his last three fights, that just, you know, looked to be fairly one dimensional with his striking. And what happened? Oh, by the way, like he's moving up the weight class. He took down Lingo. He outstruck Lingo. Yep. He kicked his ass pillar to post, right? Jalen Turner is much bigger than, than, uh, Sorry, I'm drawing a blank on his name already. Kulabau. He's much bigger than Kulabau. Tall guy, for sure, right? He would probably seems to be the better striker. He's got the bigger power. And the biggest beyond thing is that, dude, he, he fought Vincente Luque. Like, he's a, big, he's a fairly big guy. When you look at Kulabau, Kulabau's a featherweight. Mm-hmm. Kulabau's 145 pounds. So he's taking the fight on short notice. He's moving up a weight class. He's fighting a guy who's much larger than him. Not just larger because of the weight class jump up, but a guy who's already big for that weight class anyways. And a guy that absolutely hits massively hard. He's got a lot of things going for him in that fight. But there's not enough available on both guys. Like, Jalen Turner's fucking 8-5, and five, right? Coming off a loss to Matt Frivola and is a minus 210 favorite. Like, I would have to say, I, I don't want any part of that. Lesson learned. There's not enough on Kulabau for us to generally say, is this guy good or is this guy bad? And so, I don't know yet. And this would be a great opportunity to learn more about him. But for the time being, I'm going to have to say, hard pass. Jake Matthews takes on Emil Weber Meek. Jake Matthews minus two twenty five favorite Meek plus one eighty five. Cody, remember oh. when? Remember when Meek was everybody's darling coming to the ring with an axe? 
wearing. He's still, he's wearing got good. That guy's got good help. energy. That guy's got good energy. For sure. You get fired up for that guy showing up, at least. Yeah, fair. I'll let you start. I may have hot takes on this one. Okay, okay. I think, trying to read your mind, that you are off Jake Matthews yeah. because we have talked about Jake Matthews for a number of years now, and the improvements have never been there. He's a guy He's that's supposed to be a good grappler. Moved around anywhere. Never yeah. really got some different looks somewhere else. He just wants to hang out with his dad. Yeah, his, his wrestling is just okay. His grappling is just okay. His striking is just okay. His cardio just okay. And where he was a young kid with just okay skills everywhere, it was like, oh, can you imagine when this kid's 25? Can you imagine when this kid's 28? Can you imagine when this kid starts to peak? But it's like none of those skills have really improved. So now I go back to, okay, he's best, his best path to victory is just get the fight to the ground and try to use superior top game. And at least that's one thing. He's kind of strong. But he was strong for 145 pounds. Coming up to 100, sorry, at 155 pounds. Coming up to... 170 pounds, that strength, that top game, is largely negated now. So I don't know where this kid's ceiling is at. I mean, on one hand, now you look at him, he's only 25 years old, is that I expected him to be maybe a top 15, top 10 fringe contender by 25. We're just not seeing that out of him. And the UFC is giving him a fantastic job of trying to keep this guy relevant. They've given him Boyan Velikovic, who he won a split decision over, a debated split decision over Boyan. You had Boyan winning, in fact. Then he beats Jingliang Li, Decent enough win. Shinzo Anzai loses to Rocco Martin, who smoked him out, made him look foolish. Mm-hmm. And then the Rostam-Ackman fight. Rostam-Ackman wore a sweater during the fight. Should not be in the UFC. And took the fight on short notice. And, like, gave him a go, man. It was competitive. It was competitive. Jake Matthews is just not making those drastic improvements that he needs. The one thing I am going to say, though, is the reason why I am going to dig Jake Matthews, is, like, Meek is... Meek's there to stand and throw bombs. Meek's there to get in clinch standing and make it a greasy fight. Meek does not fight well off his back. And, like, everybody that's wanted to just take him down and have their way with him has. Jake Matthews, again, he's getting yet another hometown fight in front of his own crowd. They give him all... Well, they give him all types of these fights in Australia and New Zealand. buried deep onto the the early prelims. Because he hasn't proven why he shouldn't be on the fucking dirty prelims. He's he's not looked good. Two-hour flight away to his hometown in a different country hometown i don't know if i buy the australian edge here to be perfectly honest it would be like a canadian going down to the u.s like that's the mentality down there like actually frankly the kiwis probably don't i'm I'm sure this doesn't is like not blanket statement but uh, of course it doesn't apply to everyone but like the kiwis and the aussies they don't really mix all that well like they're kind of rivals in a way this is this is where i'll counter you right let's say the show was in the u.s right but you have canadian fans traveling over there then you're going to get some type of a pop right the australian fans will go to new zealand to support their guys so there's going to be a crowd pop regardless one guy's from norway and one guy's from Australia. So, yeah, I, 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 I'm not saying that it's going to be like, yo, let's screw this guy. I just mean Jake Matthews has been fighting kind of the same way recently. He tries to secure the takedown. He, he, he seems to be athletic enough still. He's fast on the outside. But, like, his strikes just don't have any power. And after seeing those fights back in the day, like Akbar Theriola folding him up with a head kick, like, he doesn't really want to strike no more, man. He wants to secure a takedown. 
Is that who you're thinking of? I will never get that <laughs> thought out of my brain. That is what I was going to bring up. You're tripping over what head. I was going to say here. Oh, yeah, yeah. I will never get that Akbar Areola head kick. I'm on Matthews. He's on all the parlays. He is about to he shit won. Apple pie. He won. He won, but he got Ooh. dropped by Akbar Areola. Now on Meek, okay. This guy is not great. He wants to bomb. We saw that, you know, he can, he can deliver some real hellacious elbows. Just ask uh, Husamar Palhares about that when your, you know, leg locks don't really work when you're giving up some, well, the strength's pretty close there. I think the problem with Matthews here is he's been stronger than all of these other 100 when he's fought at 170. He's been stronger than all of these other guys he's been taking on. This is the first time I think he's giving up a strength. Uh, there's a strength That's disparity fair. here. I want to see them sitting next to each other. But here's, here's my case on Meek. One, he took on Bartos Fabinski. And Kamaru Usman. And Kamaru Usman. <laughs> Bartos Fabinski is like the, like the perfect matchup for Bartos is this. It's just like, I'm going to take you down, I'm going to hump your leg, and I'm going to repeat, 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 repeat. And that's where you can exploit him. I don't six, know if Jake, six takedowns Bartos got. Yeah. I just don't know if Jake Matthews has wrestling on that level. I also trust Bartos' uh, – I, I, I trust his durability more than him. Emil Weber Meek made Kamara Usman 30%. 30% Usman. That's true. That is true. He did reduce them. To six. He gave up eight takedowns. I yeah. feel like Meek is not going to quit on me. As a better, this guy is not going to quit on me. He could be on the bottom. He could be getting beaten. But this guy's never going to quit on me. We've seen it even in the, the Jordan Mean fight where, yeah, he lost that first round early. Jordan Mean was able to take him down. This guy just kind of kept coming. It's not pretty. It's not fancy. Uh, Meal Me- Weber Meek inside the distance plus four oh five. I'm gonna be on it. Okay, yeah, hey, dude. Like honestly, I don't want to. I don't want to play a, a decision a good, game with it's him. It's a good price. It's a good price. For I don't want to play a decision game with him. If he's gonna win, he's gonna. He's gonna no, get I a com- finish. I completely disagree. I think. I think if he does win, decision is completely on the table because yeah, dude, he gives up the takedowns in the first round and in the second and the third round. He breaks this guy and he hurts this guy, but he doesn't quite put him away. I, don't I just don't in, trust in not putting him away. I don't trust Jake's heart, man. I don't. No, no. And, and honestly, and I was thinking to myself earlier today when I was thinking, ah, oh, geez, you know what? When was the last time Jake Matthews looked good? Not in the Ackman fight. No. Not in the Tony Martin fight. Not in the Shinzo Anzai fight. Just because, you know, it was Shinzo and it finished very early. The Jingliang Lee fight, I didn't think he looked bad. The Boyan fight looked terrible. Prior to that, he lost to Andrew Holbrook, which was in, it was Whitaker versus Brunson. So mm-hmm. I think it was in New Zealand. And they fucked him in a split decision against Andrew Holbrook. That goes to your point. Yep. Prior to that, he got absolutely toasted out by Kevin Lee. And then I thought he looked good against Johnny Case. But the one before that was Akbar Theriola. So, like, we just talked about 10 fights from this guy. He maybe looked good in two of those 10 fights. Yeah, the, hype, so I, the hype train has been derailed. Yeah. And plus 185 was one nasty price to be like, hey, I'm going to fade this guy. This is the opportunity. That's a nice little price. Why not go for it? But yeah, I, I go back to Jordan Mean was coming off a two and a half year long layoff. He took him down three times and then gassed out. If he didn't gas out, he would have just kept taking him down. Usman's Usman. He took him down eight times. You can't compare Usman to fucking Jake Matthews. And Bartos, you're right. Bartos is like a different type of strength. Like it'd be like a you know a high school kid versus a carpenter or something. Like it's just like it's a different type of strength, right? So I I, I get all the points you're making. I just honestly think that Jake Matthews is going to pull a classic squeaky decision close fight doesn't look great but gets the job done and because i feel like it's going to be a close greasy fight i'm not interested in 225 
on a, on a betting standpoint. I just think that Jake Matthews will probably get the win. We've got Song Kanaan taking on Callum Potter. Song Kanaan minus two under favor. Callum Potter plus 170. Hot takes here? No, not a, not a super hot take because I honestly didn't think Callum Potter had much of a chance against Macky Patolo in his debut. I mean, again, he's coming on a short notice and he doesn't seem to be the most talented of guys. No, he's a guard puller a lot of the times. Yeah, yeah. And I just, I didn't really see the path from there. But as it turns out, it was, his striking wasn't bad. He was out striking Patolo. And his grappling, fuck, he easily out grappled Patolo. And he showed you something. He picks up the victory. It was kind of embarrassing. I told myself I probably wouldn't bet Mac Patolo anymore. The main thing here is that, like, Callum Potter, he showed you something. Song Kanan, meanwhile, I think he does get taken down in this fight. But he's pretty durable on the ground. Like, he's not getting submitted. He's not getting cleanly outworked. And, like, he does a good job of scrambling back up. When he scrambles back up, he's going to have the striking advantage all day on Callum Potter. So I feel like he does enough to slowly outwork Callum Potter, pick up a decision. Minus 200 is not the kind of price tag that I'm super high on. Like, I don't know how much I believe in Song Kanan, who's... I wouldn't say a busted prospect, but, like, I don't know. I mean, sky's not the limit for this guy. And against Potter, he kind of just shit in my apple pie in his last fight when he pulled off a victory I really didn't see him, you know, having any business getting. The other thing, too, is that he comes on this card. Maybe just overrated Mackie Patolo. Yeah, no, no, and completely possible. Maybe Mackie Patolo's just not good at all, which is possible. Maybe Callum Potter's a little bit better than I give him credit for. But we've seen with guys like Luke Jumo and, you know, Dan Kelly and and Callum Potter. It's like if you give them low-level competition, whether they're dogs or not, they come through and pick up that victory. He's also in the same, he's, he's a full-time training partner with Jimmy Crew and Ben Sassoli, right? So he's got three or four teammates on the card. They're all under Dan Kelly. I feel like I want I feel like all of those guys are ripe for a loss this week. You know what? I bet you more All four of, of those guys in that win? picture. <laughs> so that's why I said on yeah, that Twitter I, post I that, that they I were the that. best quartet getting ready for this card. Australian yeah. quartet. Well, they were they're the, the only. But um But um yeah, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I'm just saying that I think he'll be in relatively good shape. I got Song Kanon, minus 200. I feel like he's going to take on a little bit additional money as time goes. Probably not a whole lot much yeah, more. It was minus 185. It's moved to, to two. minus 2 now. Yeah, I feel like it could get to 225, 220-ish. Um, but yeah, I got Song Kanon. It's just, yeah, I don't feel super comfortable. This is almost a dangerous card. Like, There's not a whole lot of key spots where it's like, this is where you got to bang on. There's a lot of dog plays. Callum Potter doesn't fall into my category of a dog or pass. He doesn't fa- fall into my category of a straight-up dog. He falls in my category of just pass on this guy altogether. He costs you money once, giving you, you watch tape on him, and you you valued his skills lower than they ended up actually being. And now he's taking on a guy in, in Song Kanan who, you know, again, probably is giving up the wrestling, but has just got to keep scrambling back up to his feet. Well, what if it goes three and he's giving up those takedowns? Now I've got to rely on the judges to, ha- to help me out. In minus 200, I don't want to rely on the judges to have to help me out. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me like I it's think, more of a pass on. I think Kanan's song I got him. beats him up pretty good on the feet. Yeah, Cal on the Potter, feet. Cal like, Potter, guy's a guard puller. Get the yeah, which means he doesn't care about being on the feet. <laughs> the fight's just going to hit the ground because he's got no But interest. I saw enough from Kanan's song versus uh, Derek Krantz. That sure, Kanan's, uh, song Kanan is going to get taken. Like, he gets taken down. Krantz's wrestling is considerably better than Potter. Like, Potter's going to have yeah. to, like... Krantz get a, is not get no a, joke. He's got a bad-looking record. Yeah, and, like, Kanan got into tough. a couple bad spots, but he was able to get out. He had Derek Krantz's face cut up pretty bad. Like, I think Derek Krantz puts it on Callan Potter as well. Um, so, I feel pretty good about Song Kanan. But, yeah, the problem is this does go to decision. Another... Callum, or no, Callum Potter's Australian, I believe. I may be wrong. I believe he's Australian, yeah. Um, 
I don't know if he's going to really get that much of an edge in the judges' scorecards, to be perfectly honest then. It's going to be early in the card. We'll see how many people even show up at this time. I mean, I guess a lot of people are going to be there for the next fight, which is Kai Kara France taking on Tyson Nam. Kai Kara France minus 260 favorite, Tyson Nam plus 220. I have a feeling that you are not feeling comfortable laying a minus 260 with Kai Kara France in 2020. No, I'm not. But I have a saving grace is that apparently you have to knock him out to defeat him by decision in New Zealand because yeah, <laughs> I've seen him get his ass kicked one time already and he, he beat Roly M. Pava, so it didn't really matter now did it i feel like he's a little bit sharper a little bit faster in all areas than tyson nam tyson nam has played a full career of being a spoiler he comes in he should lose he gets the victory whether it be the eduardo Dantas fight whether it be his fights in russia uh this is what he does he goes into enemy territory and he picks up the big victory but like a you can't make your full career on that it's like winning these last second buzzer beater head kicks over ali bagatinov like eventually that second's just going to expire and you're not going to get that finish and you lose the decision he gets rubbed. He gets the wrong rub on decisions all the time when he makes a decision. And I'm just seeing out of him like he's not su- He's a guy that's out of uh, Team Quest, Portland, Oregon, but he's not a great wrestler. That power, he's got good power in his striking. He's got decently quick hands, but it's like he, he's really got to rely on the one shot. I don't feel like the one shot's going to land here in this situation against Kekar France, who, even though he's that member of City Kickboxing that is getting a very positive uh, aura from everybody else in the gym. But he's the one guy that's kind of like, I don't want to say let us down, but it's like it's, it's not fully there for him. Like he's a flyweight contender that was on the Ultimate Fighter, didn't really pan out on the Ultimate Fighter, looked decent on the regional scene. Dana White gives him a call himself. We want you on this card because it's local. Doesn't look good in that fight. Looked okay his last time out. It's just like I don't. He's a flyweight who relies on power. Which is always going to be a problem. Never a good thing long term. No, 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 because these guys can take it. Tyson Nam's got a, de- he's a decently dur- durable guy. He's fought the best of the best guys over the last 10 years. Like, he's fought some scrubs along the way, but, like, he does not mind stepping up to the plate against these guys. It's that he has to land that big shot to knock him out. Because otherwise, he's not going to do enough to cleanly say, yo, he definitely won that fight. He'll be in a subjective striking match. Which may be enough in New Zealand, but... Uh, not against Kai Kara No, France. yeah, sorry, yeah, for Kai yeah, Kara yeah, France. Sorry, sorry, could be enough in New Zealand for Kai Kara France. Yeah. But 260, it's like I would want to defend it if he's going to kick his ass. Yep. If this is 200, I'm over it all day. Not just because I think he'll get the positive rub, but I do think he's the better fighter. I think he's faster. I think his punches are way more linear. I think he's just going to beat him to the punch, evade. The other thing is when you're relying on that one big punch, you got to have the guy engage you. But Kai Kara France does a good job of getting out of there. Roly and Pava was able to extend him and beat him up a little bit. But he, he hadn't been in a gut check fight like that. And to his credit, I mean, he landed all types of nasty shots. Is that he couldn't get this guy to back up. I feel when, when I look at this matchup, it, it, Tyson Nam's not going to pressure him the same way. So as a result, he should just get pot shot, get out of there. Pot shot, get out of there. Pot shot, get out of there. It should be enough to win the decision. So I'm going to kick her across. Uh, even though I want to probably chase a better price tag than 260 by taking him by decision, because he throws so much power against an aging Tyson Nam, mm-hmm. like, I, I, it's, it's completely possible that maybe he does catch him as well. So I feel like you would have to just take him 260, and at that point, it's not a great price tag. You're going to want to parlay him. But, like, this is a card that's, like, so someone's many... Someone's shitting in the someone, apple pie. There are definitely your parlay, apple pie shitters top the bottom. Your parlay's got a weak chance of making place. it, because, yeah, there's just so many 50-50 fights. But also, 
I would rather have a 50-50. A 50-50 fight, the guy didn't shit in my pie. I knew what I was getting myself into. Yeah. A 260 favorite, he's the kind of guy that shits in your pie. Yeah, that's got to be a lock. Yeah, he's got to be an absolute lock. And whereas I feel fairly certain in him, I'm like 80%. It's too big of a price tag to invest more. more. Yep. All right, we got uh, Angela Hill taking on Loma Lokbumi. Angela Hill minus 200. Lokbumi plus 170. Any, uh, any thoughts on this one? Yeah, well, it seems to me like people, I don't know, I don't want to say are chasing, Loma. yeah, I don't want to say chasing a dog because like it's a card that has a ton of dogs, but like plus 170 is a good looking price tag. People, they like to try to fade Angela Hill in spots when they can here and there. And like they're seeing something that I do, I'm not giving a ton of credit to, right? They're seeing that the speed that, that she has some massive fucking clinch game that she's just going to decimate Angela Hill in the, with that alone. I don't know alone, but oh. She's much? five foot one. Yeah, and, she's, and, and, she, and, and she Angela fought. Hill's what five six uh, no, five no, seven? No, I think she's five 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 three five four. Really? I thought she she's was. five foot three. Yeah. Oh, okay. No, so no, not, she's not, not all not that tall. As much man. taller than I thought. I mean, she's got big hair. That probably uh, that probably makes her seem bigger. Tall. Uh, okay. She does. <laughs> Luke Wu got a big afro. Luke Wumei's five foot one. She has a sixty two inch reach. Right. It's unheard of. When she fought in Thailand as it's a Muay Thai fighter, remember Milana Dudievia, T Rex arms. Yeah, yeah. It's just like how do you hit somebody with those things? But yeah. she loves the kicks. She likes elbows. She's a even though she's a Muay Thai fighter with all this Muay Thai experience, she's not some killer stand up fighter. Stand in front of you and smoke you. It's like her hands are not super developed. She likes kicks. She likes knees, and then she likes to clinch up with you. When she clinches up with you, she just beats you up pretty good. Since turning to MMA, she's got a decent wrestling game. Like, she's able to take opponents down. Yes, she's from Thailand, but she's training at Tiger Muay Thai. So, you know, they've got the grappling coaches, the wrestling coaches, George Hickman and all them working with her. I'm sure she's made improvements. But I, I don't know that she's going to be able to rely just on her wrestling and her clinch game to beat Angela Hill. Like, take off the Angela Hill by short notice. That doesn't seem to matter. No. Angela Hill takes all of her fights on short notice, seems to fight better short notice, and is just, like, keeping in shape, rolling out, making some improvements. But she's got better punch output than Luka Bume, and if she just stays on the outside, I believe she's faster. She's a little bit rangier in that. She has a 64.5-inch reach. So a 2.5-inch reach advantage, a 2-inch height advantage. She's taking on... Luke Bume used to fight in Muay Thai at 108 pounds, yeah. right? She turns to MMA, she fights at 115. Well, geez, there's no there's no 115 pound weight class, so they give her uh, Alexander Albu at 125. Albu, you've seen her, so small, and also just like very one dimensional. She's it's three and one versus three and one, very green Albu versus very green Luke Bume. Luke Bume got a split decision victory over uh, Alexander Albu. Okay, mm. fair. When you when you compare that to Angela Hill, Angela Hill, so that's one fight in the UFC. You want a split decision over. An absolute, just unheralded opponent. Angela Hill, when, when she was 0-1, or she was 1-0, she was on The Ultimate Fighter. She fought Carla Esparza, world champion. She fought Tisha Torres, perennial contender. She fought Rose Namunas, world champion. She fought Jessica Andrade, world champion. She fought Nina Ansarov, a perennial contender. She fought uh, Jan Zionan, who's an up-and-coming contender. She's, and, and now that she's taking these fights on short notice against Jody Escobel, Ariane Carlosi, and Hannah Cyphers, she beats all of them. When she fights world champions or top contenders, she doesn't get the rub. But that, just to make mention, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. She's had ten fights in the UFC. She's taking on an opponent that's had four pro fights together. Sorry, four. she's four and one. She's had five professional fights altogether. 
taking on a girl that's had 10 UFC fights. That all, all she does is take these fights on short notice against Hannah Cyphers, Ariana Carlosi. Those are as good to me as Loma Luke Bume. So I can't get behind Luke Bume. The plus 170, like I get where, you're, where people are coming mm-hmm. from, but I'm not seeing it. Like I would have to get like a plus 250 to be like, whoa, you know, this is a women's MMA fight. It could get greasy and I'll take the girl that, you know, could get the rub. But again, Angela Hill trains with one of the best female teams at Alliance MMA. She's very well coached from Eric Del Fiero and all the, the bunch down there. She's going to be more than prepared for this fight, and I, I just don't see Luke Bume just holding on to her in the clinch and peppering her with short elbows and knees for 15 minutes yep. to win the decision. So i got to go with Angela Hill. Minus 200. I don't love it just because I just mentioned, you know, it's a women's MMA fight that's kind of <laughs> one girl's got one fight in the organization, the other girl's got a 500 record after 10 of them. So do I love to jump on it at that price tag? No, but Angela Hill has been doing exactly this, coming in at similar price tags on short notice and winning us money. So maybe she's worth another look. That all makes sense to me. We got Takashi Sato taking on Maki Patolo. Not going to lie, this is like the one fight that I really haven't put too much thought or preparation into. Sato minus 120, Patolo plus 100. I mean, if you're coming off of a loss against Callum Potter... I am out. It's just whether it's whether Sato's a bet. I am not touching Patolo, I'll tell you that much. Is there is there a case to be made for Sato here or should we just kind of skip across? Yeah, well I think you well no, you know what? It's just a flat pass. And then whereas I was a daughter pass, Mackie Patolo really fucked me over against Callan Potter. And Callan Potter Callan Potter, you're, I'm out. No, I Callen, am out. Callan Potter represents just like the absolute lowest level short notice guy in the region. Only reason he's here, uh, you know, was a was a veteran of that regional show scene and deserved the fight just because he put the time in but like talent wise shouldn't have been there Mackie Patolo you know had fought on the contender series he had earned himself a contract he's supposed to be somebody decent but it's like man his grappling is no good his cardio did not check out he's just got massive red flags all over the place and the flip side to that with Takashi Sato I'm not very high on Takashi Sato. I mean, yeah, he knocked out Ben Saunders, but I didn't think he looked particularly good until landing the shot on Saunders. And then Bilal Muhammad, like, Bilal Muhammad don't finish nobody. Like, Bilal Muhammad really just outworks you. And mm-hmm. it is a very good fighter, and yeah, I, I, do, I, I enjoy watching him fight very much so. But just, like, he just breaks you down, you know, takes a lunchbox with him. He, he fucked him up pretty decent. So Sato's got glaring issues in his game. And whereas Potolo, again, you look at the tape study, coming into his last fight against Potter... Let's say he never fought Potter, and we were just looking at it like Mackie Patolo versus uh, Takashi Sato, this matchup. Then I think he'd go with Patolo. But seeing that he's got a—to me, he's a busted prospect. I'm not sold on this guy whatsoever. Now I'm worried that if he doesn't land that big punch—like, his, what's his nickname? Coconut Bombs? Like, who? why'd they give him that nickname? Because probably whoever was training with him was just like, yeah, this guy stands in. He chucks bombs. He's Hawaiian. There's the coconut reference. Biggity-bam. He likes to chuck his hands. Seeing him in that fight against uh, his, his last time against Callum Potter, it's like, yeah, man. I mean, if he's not just standing there throwing bombs, he's in trouble. And even in that situation, he didn't look all that good. I mean, it's, I just feel like a lot of holes in the game. Now, either he comes out for a second UFC fight, short up all those issues, is a better version of himself, doesn't have the same octagon jitters, doesn't have all that, and goes out there and beats Sato. But I can't confidently say that that's the case. It's a close fight. It's 50-50. I think that there's better value elsewhere on the card. The smart decision is probably just hit the pass on it. Resident Nick, uh, nickname expert, Zach. Do you like coconut bombs? Does that one work for you? Thumb, we got a thumbs up. We got a thumbs coconut up from Zach. All right, bombs. finally. The moment. The people's main event. I'm just kidding. Shayna Dobson <laughs> takes on Priscilla Ketchup beating. Shayna Dobson, minus 230 Ketchup beating to be had for plus 170. What is this? 
What world are we have we came to? Where this is this is the UFC dog, the premier mixed I think they felt they, organization they, 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 in the world. They probably they must have been forced to give her like a fourth fight here because, like they they literally like put her life in danger when she had to take on uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Like there was no line you could have made that would have made that fight that that would have made Valentina Shevchenko unbettable. There was absolutely zero chance. That Shevchenko could have lost, so I'm not gonna. I'm gonna scrap all of that. Uh, Priscilla, I'll give you a little bit of. The girl is durable. She's feisty. She seems to want it. The skills are just not there whatsoever. But she's taking on Dobson, who I know that she trains at Elevation Fight Team now. Hopefully, she's working on that gas tank because yeah, she tires in about seven and a half minutes. I don't know how I'm saying this, but if there was ever a moment. <laughs> For catch a beating to catch a dub, it's this. Yeah. I would, I, there is no way I would put a cent of money on it. But if there was ever a moment, this is it. Maybe Shayna Dobson's turned a corner. If Shayna Dobson has a better gas tank now and can, can fight for three rounds, she's going to piece up Cachoeira 100%. But I don't have faith in that yet. What about you? Yeah, okay. So... <laughs> The concept is not, could you see a world where Shayna Dobson beats Priscilla Cachoeira? Yeah, no, of course. Do you see a world where you would bet minus 200 on Shayna Dobson? No, God, I can't. Three no. Priscilla Cachoeira? No. Three and no. three. So now I'm thinking about it. Do I see a world where I bet Priscilla Cachoeira is a minus 200 over Shayna Dobson? No, no, no. No. Plus, no. Oh, sorry. But do I see a world where I would bet Priscilla Cachoeira is a plus 170 over Shayna Dobson? <laughs> Fuck. Maybe I could talk myself into this. Oh, God, this. don't do it. No, listen, it's, it's, it's as greasy and degenerate as it's going to get. It's the very first oh, yeah. fight on the card. But again, if you're looking for, for value, I can't, I can't. there could be something there, man. There could be something there. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you my main point of why I believe that. Cachoeira, what can you really take away? Other than, you know, she's tough, she's durable, she's trying to get in there and make it happen. Just the, the skill level doesn't reflect that. And at 31 years old, very hard for me to make yeah, the argument that she's going to make these improvements that are necessary to compete. But Shayna Dobson's 3-3. Three and three. I mean, she did not look good on the Ultimate Fighter. She hasn't looked good in her subsequent fight since the Ultimate Fighter. And she's also an aged fighter as well. So, like, there's zero upside to either of these fighters. But with Cachoeira, it's like, dude, she fought Valentina Shevchenko and went 425 of the second round with Val. That's I mean, almost, she didn't no, land no, a punch. No, 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 no. No, no. She lasted nine and That's because Mario minutes. Yamasaki wanted her to be a warrior. Oh, my God. Well, he obviously also bet the over one and a half yeah. rounds. Was Definitely just like 100%. I can't, I can't stop this at two thirty one. Yeah. You're gonna have to two twenty nine. You have to be a warrior there, Priscilla. You're gonna have to be a warrior for a little longer. But, but again, she fights Valentina Shevchenko, which is just absolutely absurd that it happened. But she lasted four and a half minutes, which is more than Dobson would ever be able to do, in my opinion. Then the Molly McCann fight, man. Again, she does not look good, but she opened up that nasty mm-hmm. cut on Molly McCann. Uh, blood everywhere, wins the third round, hustled her up, cardio didn't let up on Exactly. Her. That's at least something. Now, Molly McCann, for all the issues that she has, former Cage Warriors champion, and was getting a hometown fight. So, Cachoeira, again, is just being brought in for to lose, specifically. Against Luana Carolina. Man, we were on Luana Carolina. But Luana Carolina was like a Muay Thai specialist, and like she looked okay on the Contender Series, and she was very, very tall, and you just knew she was going to bomb her with knees, all this and that, right? Again, 
she loses that fight. It's just like, oh, man, where's, when is she going to be able to catch that break? But all those fights, it's like there's something that the other opponent has. Valentina's a former a future world champion. They were just looking to grow her up there. Molly McCann, former Cage Warriors champion in England. We're looking to build her up here. Luana Carolina, geez, she's young. She just came off the con- contender series. We gave her a contract. The Dobson fight, there's like zero upside. It's not as if they were like, yo, save her to build somebody. It was like, yo, we kind of owe her one. Maybe like, this girl will in. gas out and Ketchawara will be able to get a win. Right, now, now. They must love her because, like, she probably didn't complain when, like, they almost no. had her killed. No, dude. And and the best was when Mario Yamasaki was like, I let her be a warrior. They talked to her about it. And she was just like, yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah, like, thank you for letting me like, be a warrior. Fuck you talking about, yeah, you appreciated that. Yeah. Like, he, that was not cool, man. Like, how, how did you allow that to happen? But 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 here's here's the big takeaway I had, right? The Valentina fight, she landed two strikes because she was on her back getting slaughtered the whole time. But the Molly McCann fight, she landed 75 strikes versus 107 for McCann. She's tried to stay in the fight. She had a good third round. She rallied, but she threw a lot of strikes. She was on the opposite end of a lot of the landing punches, and she has no striking defense. But she took a lot of the strikes, landed 75 of her own. Against Luan Carolina, again, Luana Carolina landed 111 significant strikes versus 69 for Cachoeira. So Cachoeira is landing plenty of strikes. The problem in both of those matchups against McCann and Luana Carolina is that they just doubled her up. They just kept out striking her. This is the problem with Shannon Dobson. Shannon Dobson's got better technical boxing. She's going to be able to hit Cachoeira, no fucking problem. But she doesn't throw enough punches. Mm. She throws maybe 30, 40 significant punches in a fight. She mostly just likes to counter punch. And I do envision a scenario with Cachoeira just tries to make it a dirty brawl. She's going to be getting hit. The counter punching is coming all day from Dobson. But I would never feel confident 200 for Dobson. I could see Dobson playable at minus 120, minus 130. And I would still consider you degenerate. Because it's like you just don't know what you're getting out of either participant. But plus 170 on Cachoeira, it's like at least they're giving her a winnable fight. There's no hometown favorite in this matchup. Both of them are just owed, contractually obligated to have a fight. So it's like just go fight on the fight pass prelims that most people. The event starts at what, 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time? I'm not sure. I think it starts at 4 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Most people probably are doing something at 4 o'clock on the Saturday prior to the start of the fight. So you'll probably end up missing this fight. They don't care. They're just putting it on as filler. But it's our both girls wanted to go to New Zealand, so yeah. But to me, it it really comes down to the fact that it's this this is because of all the intangibles and the variables. It's probably closer to a pick'em fight, and it's not a price tag that reflects that because Priscilla Cachoeira is the butt end of every single joke. So no one's no one's gonna put real money on her, and this is a price tag that largely reflects that. Yeah, I know. You're right. But I am not. That's a good call. I let's will let's, never, let's hit a hard. I will pass. never do it. All We're right, just let's... passing on so many fights. It's like what's what's the what's the dog? I'm not talking. I'm not talking one ten, one fifteen. I mean, I want to play Meek. Yeah, that's a real dog for you. He's a good dog. Uh, Carolina, there's. I just don't know if she's still got it, but the the path is there. Yeah. Um. Yeah, those are the two that really stand out to me. Um, otherwise, yeah, those are the two that I'm really looking at. Anyway, let's talk about the DraftKings uh, breakdown here. Main event, Hooker, 8,700, Felder, 7,500. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, obviously people always try to target the main event due to the fact that you got the five rounds to work with. Uh, it just depends to me, like, are you going to get much grappling out of this? I see Hooker could take down Felder, and Felder would just get right back up, so that'd be good. 
because Hooker could potentially get some points on the judges' scorecard and score me some DK points mm-hmm. if I am going Hooker. Hooker, he's I feel like he's slightly overvalued at eighty seven hundred dollars mm-hmm. because at minus one fifty, the reflection is not eighty seven hundred dollars. It's no. because he has that string of first round finishes, beating you know Burns by first round finish, beating Jim Miller by first round finish, beating decent enough competition, knocking them out. Is that he has scored traditionally very high on DraftKings, so he's kind of he being could overvalued. Get a there on here. value, or he could get there on volume as well. Which he, is he could get there on volume. Live. It's a five round fight. Obviously, the main events are always very highly owned. So I don't hate Hooker as a play. Uh, no, but let's say let's say a similar scenario to the Edson Barbosa fight plays out, and the guy goes out there and scores. 80 significant strikes, 90 significant strikes. Let's just say for the sake of argument, he scores 100 significant strikes. But outside of that, like, there's no takedowns. There's no ground transitions, obviously. He's not knocking him down. As a result, it's like you may end up in the loss, end up with 50 points, right? Which is in the worst on a cash game. But as far as the GBP, like, you got to be certain this guy's got a great chance to finish. And I don't feel like the chance to finish Felder is really there. If you're mm-hmm. going to beat Felder, you got to beat Felder by decision. Beating Felder by decision, like, he's not... He doesn't have these massive defensive holes in his game. Like he does, he's not there to get hit all the time. So could be low scoring because it's the main event. Should be higher ownership. It's five rounds. Like I said, people like to target it. I- I'm feeling personally, I may try to avoid this main event. Tucker or bust for me. I wouldn't want to play Paul Felder. No, Felder. The, the, the volume's just too low. Completely agree there. Now this next one, you're probably going to need a piece of either going to have a Lech Chuck at $8,200. Or you're going to go Jimmy Crew with 8,000. Jimmy Crew. The thing I like about him is that he'll mix in the takedowns with the wrestling. But well, if we saw anything from the Paul Craig fights, like because he's so young and green and developing, there's a lot of scrambles. There's a lot of just like loss of position and I feel like that is the key to scoring lots of points is don't just score me one takedown hold the guy down and butcher him score me three takedowns and then eventually catch that submission at some point he fights at a decent enough pace that I feel like he could break a luck chuck here's the one issue that I'm obviously going to have with this one I got Jimmy Crute you're going with with Lord Michael correct yeah, ever so slightly okay ever so slightly I mean this is the as I said right. earlier I would rather just bet this thing live yeah and yeah. that means I actually end up missing out on Alexia because I think if you want to bet Alexia you got to bet him you got to bet him pre-fight because he's, he's gonna, gonna come, come out bombing yeah now it feels like if you're playing the big GPP you want exposure to this right mm-hmm. both guys have high upside to score a lot of points like Chuck obviously he's a potent first round finisher he's gonna score points Jimmy Crew, he's got scrambles he's got wrestling he's got striking he has scored significantly well in his win so far why wouldn't you want a piece of Jimmy Crew as well the issue here in lines though if you're playing something like MMA World Cup where you're playing a cash game head to head if you don't get this one right you could score very 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 low and mm-hmm. ruin your roster so just a buyers beware that both guys have a lot of merit. You probably want exposure to one of them. If you're playing multiple lineups, I can see you having some lineups yeah, with both guys. Fight for sure. But as far as one single lineup goes, you, you got to be, you just, uh, hopefully you're if on you're the right side. If you're playing cash, probably not a fight yeah, you want to be involved Electra in. kicks his ass in the first round and gets submitted in the second. And yeah, the loser, the, or Jimmy if, Craig gets, or if the gets him, take, takes <laughs> him down really be. fast and then finds a submission really fast. Yeah, yeah. I mean, both guys have like floors of next to nothing. And dude, a couple weeks back, you got you got uh, Gilbert Burns' brother, Herbert, and I got uh, Nate right. Landwehr, and it's like you have to have one of these guys. No, we both had Landwehr. Oh, we, yeah, we both ended up on Landwehr. Yep. You know what? Fuck it. Shit happens. And he went for it. He walked right into that knee. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Burns was the other side, but that was another fight where it's like... High variance. If yeah, our guy sure. wins, we're on the winning lineup. If our guy loses... Then, the we guys gotta, have, then all the other guys got to lift up their socks, please. They got to lift up their socks. Uh, Jan sure. versus Kovalkiewicz, 92 and 7,000. Carolina Kovalkiewicz, I would give her, like, maybe I say that the durability is slipping a little bit, and I could see Jan finishing her. But again, $9,200, I got to be certain of that. I got to be certain she absolutely puts it on her because she's not shown. She took Angela Hill down a few times. 
I don't know that she tries to take it down Carolina. I don't know that she can take down Carolina. So if this is a three-round kickboxing match and she's not going to get that finish, $9,200 is just too much personally. Yeah. Even though I see her winning, uh, the two sixty I didn't love, and the $9,200 in DraftKings I definitely don't like. Okay. Moving on from that, we got Rogerio de Lima and Ben Sassoli. This is kind of another similar situation. If Rogerio de Lima wins... Could he win a decision? Yeah. And it would be very, very boring. It's be so ugly. But he's kind of like one of those banger bust guys. That's the reason I'm going Sassoli. I feel like Sassoli's durability is enough that he'll at least survive the first round. And then if he can keep the fight standing for pieces of the second or the third, he should be enough to just land one of those shots on Delima. Your smart move is the pass. But on the DraftKings side of things, like at least is going to go for it. His upside to winning is that he usually, you know, gets a... A knockout. Is he fights such bad fighters, man? That's that's the key. He like, fights really bad guys. This is the bottom guys. of the heavyweight division. Yeah, I feel like Ben is This is the bottom him. of the heavyweight division. This yeah, is like, I feel like he, the bottom of the him. barrel. This is like the dust you could, at the you could bottom. Ben Sassoli's topology picture is him with painted on ass. He looks like my buddy so, Jamie Cooper. <laughs> so definitely have a look at that one. I could see both guys scoring big. But you know what? It could be a really shit sluggy slugged out heavyweight fight that goes three rounds where neither guy does anything. Yep. Ben Sassoli didn't throw anything against Hardy. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because Hardy's 6'5 and a freak athlete. Rogero de Lima's infinitely slower, infinitely smaller. Ben Sassoli should get it down. Magomed Mustafa versus Brad Riddell. I'm going to go Brad Riddell. I feel like the DK play is Magomed Mustafaev. He's got very high upside. The way he wins is he finishes guys in the first round, and there's just too many question marks for him. Brad Riddell, he's not going to take down Mustafaev. He's either got to break him down systematically and yep. finish him late, or he's just got to rely on getting that decision victory. The decision victory for $7,800, he's going to be one of those guys I may end up rostering. He may score me 72, 75 points. I don't feel like he's going to get 100 points. Mm-hmm. I'm saying he could score up to the 7,800. But looking at this card, it looks like you're going to need a lot of these mid-value plays to try to build up. I don't like a lot of the cheap, cheap options we'll get to some of those in a bit but I, I, brad riddell is going to be the play there and i feel like seven eight hundred dollars not not the worst he's probably going to pick up a decision if he's going to win and he's just got to rely on landing landing enough strikes hopefully 100 significant strikes plus the decision victory kevin aguilar to hugov flat pass to hugov if he goes out and gets me six takedowns and that's 30 points there's just not enough striking with the takedowns there's not enough ground transitions mm-hmm. it's just holding them down so even though i love lots of takedowns there's not enough of the other variables. Kevin yeah, Aguilar, meanwhile, it's vi- they don't score fuck all off your back. Even if you're butchering the guy with elbows off your back, the, the fight metric doesn't score it. And if they don't score it, DK's not scoring it. And if DK is not scoring it, it's not worth shit. Submission attempts, not worth shit. So if he's trying to submit him and he's making the, all, he's working and he's moving, it's not, it's not going to make a world of difference. And for that reason, even though I kind of want a guy like that for $8,100, uh, I just have a bad feeling about it. Jalen Turner versus... Calubero, uh, yeah, Jalen Turner, $8,800. He's What'd got a propensity. Jalen Turner versus Kulabao. Yeah, that was better. I think the first time it was like Canyon Arrow or something. Canyon Arrow. Kulabao. Right, continue, sorry. Okay, he's, he's a big mystery, right? I mean, if he's actually good, and he fought a lot as an amateur, he's 8 no as a pro, he's fighting better level of competition, even though he has not cracked good level of competition yet. He's at least trying to make some improvements. His last fight was against like some guy like Steve Max Payne, and he was 8-8. Eight and eight. Yeah, and Jalen Turner's 8-5 and five as a professional, and Bellator didn't think enough of this guy to keep yeah. him on their roster. So it's like, I, I, I don't know. Like I think that's a hard pass. $8,800 on Turner. Could he get a knockout and score high, big? Yeah, finish potential in this fight, though, I think. Yeah, and that's, like you said, there's a lot of variables in this yeah. fight. So I'm gonna, I'll have uh, to have that's another a tournament look. fight, I think, for sure. And I'll I don't think the look. guy's... But the guys there the probably won't be too owned either. No, cool about if, if if you're gonna fade Jalen Turner, this would be an excellent spot in DK because for seventy four hundred dollars, uh, you got a guy that could 
Matt Frivola broke this guy down and exposed him. You, it, Matt Frivola had the grappling to yes, make yes, the thing yes. interesting. And, is and he got cracked. Much, he got cracked a bunch of times. He just didn't go to sleep. Yeah, and is a much better fight fighter than Kulabao. Yeah. The thing is, is that I know Frivola, I think Frivola is better because I've seen Frivola. I know his grappling is good. I know his wrestling is good. Comes from a good you know, camp. Yeah, it comes from a good camp. His chin's not that great, but he took these punches. Whereas Kulabao's like, I, I don't know. You know, yeah. the fact that he's an Australian prospect, I have to, I have to say he's not on Frivola's mm-hmm. level. But he could surprise us. So that, that one's worth looking into. I'm not fully sold on that, though. You got Meek. I got Jake Matthews. I don't see Jake Matthews scoring a ton of points at $9,100. Like, he gets the takedowns. But outside of that, like, if he was lesser, I would think maybe Meek just keeps getting back up. Jake Matthews got to keep taking him down. But you make an excellent point. Meek's getting taken down by Bartosz Zubinski and Kamaru Uzma. 30%. Made him 30%. Yeah, those guys are ridiculously strong. Like, even Jordan Mean. Jordan Mean's a big guy, right? So I can kind of see where it's like they're wrangling It's like the first the time at 170 that Jake Matthews doesn't really have that size advantage. Yeah. The other thing, I want to see them standing next to each other. I haven't made a play on it yet, but I want to see them standing next to each other still. Also, it's like, and I might be thinking way too far into this, but when you look at Emil Meek, it's like when he takes on Jordan Mean, Jordan Mean's like 29 years old or something at the time, right? He takes on Kamara Uzman. It's like Kamara Uzman's like 28, 28 years old, 29 years old. Like these guys are in the prime. Bartos Vinsky is like 33 years old. They're all men. They're all men with grappling acumen, right? Jake Matthews is 25 years old. He wasn't all that strong. He was seemingly strong at 55. Yeah. But at 170, he's not all that strong. No, he's just average size. Right. So if Meeks fucking stands him up and says, not taking me down, then he's in some trouble. The why I'm gonna stick with Matthews, though is I think Matthews would be comfortable with just holding him up against mm-hmm. the cage. Like, I, I don't think he's above doing that. Potter versus That's Song. That's the way to win. Potter versus Song, uh, <laughs> this is a flat pass. Like I, I, Song's going to let everybody down, and Potter's going to end up being the play somehow. But it would have to be a GPP punt. You would have to be entering lineups and just say, here's your punt. Yeah, and think you're of Callum Potter as that. Paul Craig. Like He's going to have to catch some sort of, like, some sort of submission out of pull a ra- rabbit out of a hat type of situation. Well, you could pull out a rabbit out of the hat, or it's completely possible here that everyone's overrating Song Kanan. I mean, here's here's just one point I forgot to bring up earlier that I found quite interesting. is that, like, He's fought absolutely nobody, and yet somehow we believe this guy's good. I mean, he's not particularly young. He's 29, but he had lost... This is before the UFC. He lost to Elner Agaev by decision, and he lost to Brad Riddell, also in the card, who knocked him out. He's the only fighter to you make... love Brad Riddell. Know, You're know, picking him against no, no, Mast- no, no, Magomed no, no, Mastafa. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is he, he's the only fighter to get signed to the UFC coming off of two straight losses because they're in China and they, they need a guy. It. They need they a guy. It. They're like, you know what? I think we can really lay they a line a guy. a guy like Callan Potter one day. So I they're like, know. okay, you know what? We're in China. We need a guy short notice who this guy shouldn't be here, but you know what? Let's throw him in against Bobby Nash. Bobby Nash never won a fight in the UFC and got cut. Then he fought Hector Aldana. Who never won a fight in the UFC and then got caught. Former Paul Shag, worst of worst fighter in the UFC. Yeah, then he got worked over by Alex Morono, right? His striking didn't look effective. His grappling didn't look effective. And then he beat Derek Krantz. Now, I actually do agree with you. I think Derek Krantz is better than Callum Potter. So to me, Sankanong is the rightful favorite in this spot. But I can't help but think I wouldn't want to Krantz play is cut as well, too. It's going to be a stand-up type of fight with him. It's going to have to be either a finish, but Potter's pretty durable. He's or sweet. it's going to have to be like he'll need a lot to pay off nine, 9K. It'll have to be a lot of volume. 
Yeah, and 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 I'm going back to he's three and three in his last six fights, mm-hmm. and the three wins that he's had in the UFC are over guys that are no longer with the UFC and never won a fight in the UFC. So two hundred is just too big of a price tag. Nine thousand is too much for me. Potter was just like a mega pun. I'm not fully confident in ta- even thinking about that yet, but I could be talked into it. More tape side need to be done there. Kai Car France versus Tyson Nam. Kai Car France is just overpriced because I don't know for sure he's going to get that finish over Tyson Nam without the ground game, without all that. It's just not going to quite be enough for me. Angela Hill versus Luca Bume. Angela Hill's very expensive. If Luca Bume does exactly what everyone believes she's going to do, which is close the distance, get into the clinch, and hold on to her and just fight her at close range. Yeah, that's then, not a scoring. Game. No, no. This is a very low scoring affair, both sides. So I would have to say Luca Bume becomes way more appealing because she's only $7,300. But because I don't think she's going to come out here and. Maybe a cash Pull game dog because you just think that you're going to at three least rounds, get the three strikes. rounds, but I don't know. And, you know, everybody complains every week about the fight metric scoring, right? Well, that's that's the issue with the clinch. Is that short little knee to the body a significant strike or if it's not? Because I bet you Angela Hill would tell you depends it's a significant strike. It hits you. Yeah, it just depends. Like, yeah. that's the problem. Like, with clinch work, sometimes it's like it's sneaky, it's hidden, it's low. Like, they want to see a punch at distance, at range, hit somebody. They don't care about ground and pound and hit the guy 10 times. It's like, oh, but you didn't really, like, torque up and smash. It's like, the fuck are you talking about? It's a strike is a strike. Yeah, significant strikes. But a strike is not Let's a not strike. Let's not get onto that topic. And so that makes this fight a lot greasier when you think about it that way. Patolo could knock out Takashi Sato. Sato could grind out Patolo and make $8,300 worth it. I would say Patolo is actually the play. Even though I talked about it, I don't like him on the, on the money line side of things. I don't mind that this guy does have a decent amount of power and... I think he could nail one on Takashi Sato and probably hurt this guy. It's possible. Um, yeah, definitely worth a look there. And then Shayna Dobson versus Priscilla Cachoeira. I don't think he won any exposure to any of this on the money line. Maybe, maybe if you're a real degenerate, that you know, you take that one seventy dog you play. Sick fucks. But but maybe don't do it. but maybe you avoid it completely. And then as far as the DraftKings side of it goes, I think you avoid it completely as well. Dobson's a favorite, but at eighty six hundred dollars, we just mentioned like she doesn't really throw. She doesn't wrestle. Right, so take that off the and table. Her opponents, she's not going to get ground transitions because she's not and wrestling. Her opponent's durable. Yeah, and she just counter punches. Right, counter punching is not leading the dance. It's waiting for your opponent to do something. And if Catchaware comes out there, throws three punches, Dobson counters her with one clean. I don't. Again, I don't know what the judges are looking at. Yeah, I don't fair. know if they're looking at aggression and three small punches, or if they're looking at octagon control and a good counter punch. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. So it, it, this this card, they've done an excellent job of just. Really making it difficult to like zone in on your on your play of the weeks and the stuff that you feel confident and definitely I mean I love parlays but like this one really screams so many variables so many fifty fifty fights like yeah. my god all right what is the PRP this week yeah the PRP if this thing could survive it would pay so much money oh yeah but we're gonna go with Dan Hooker we're gonna go with Jimmy Crute Jimmy Crute that's dog number one we're gonna take on Xiaonan uh, Yan how do you say it? Zhaon? Yan? Yan Zhaonan, I believe, is how yeah, I'm I I'm really bad it. with the Chinese names. Yeah. We're going to go with Yan. We're going to go with Ben Sassoli. That's dog number two. We're going to go with Brad Riddell. That's dog number three. Not feeling We're going to go with Zubair Tuhugov. He's an even money guy. We're going to go with Jalen Turner. We're going to go with Jake Matthews. We're going to take Son Kanon. Really got a bad feeling there. We got Kai Car France. We got Angela Hill. We got Mackie Patolo is being listed as an underdog. That'll be our dog number four. And then, yeah, I mean, I have to make a pick here. So I'm going to take Priscilla, just dog number you, five. No way. This is a 13-fight. Stop it. This is a 13-fight Priscilla's going to get her first win. What, what is the world coming to? Dobson has lost to Lauren Mueller and has a UFC no, victory over Ariel Beck. 
Yeah, I know. Who was two and one, right? Yeah, like, if it's very ever difficult. Happen, this is it. How could you look me in the eyes and tell me that she's a two and one? I'm not laying favorite? minus 200. I'll tell no, you that's much. the thing. I could see being like, yo, I know this girl. She's a, I, th- I want to say she's a gym teacher as well. She's in good shape. Hey, Miss Dobson, she put it on you. But like, this is a UFC fight against an 0 and 3 opponent. But at the very least, UFC, we all watch at home and we say, Jesus, how is Priscilla Cachoeira still in the organization? But, like, she's obviously not embarrassing them enough that they're cutting her. Like, they're giving her one more chance. And this almost feels like, uh, yo, we set you up with some tough fights in the past. We're really sorry for what happened in Brazil. You should have looked better in your last fight. But we're going to give you... Brazil, was Yeah, it was. Yeah, we're going to give you one more against Dobson, who both girls have their back against the... Yeah, it's pink slip fight, in theory. Yeah, yeah. Who you knows? Know, you know those rare times that the UFC days. cuts somebody in a victory? <laughs> like, that, this could be it. Priscilla Cachoeira signed a four-fight deal. So all they're doing is honoring the deal by giving her this last fight. If she wins, they just may not re-sign her. I mean, mm-hmm. let's be honest here. And if Dobson wins, there's more of an argument for re-signing her. But, like, why? She's, she'd be 4-3 and three in the UFC. And just to confirm, I just want to confirm her age. Because that was another thing that I was, like, massively worried about. Is that she pulled all of her punches her last time out. Didn't really want to engage. Didn't look fully interested. And internet currently down. I should know this. Ah, oh, she's only 30. I don't know. I don't know. You know what? This is a hard fucking pass. She's right. out of a better camp. She's got better boxing, but this is a hard pass. Sometimes you train. Yeah, I got time to make it. All right. Let's uh, quickly. We said that we'd had we'd do it. Michelle Pereira, D- Diego Sanchez. I'm not going to sit in front of a microphone and talk shit about Diego Sanchez. The problem here in this situation is the way that contracts are set up for UFC fighters. Diego knows he's losing that fight. They go, oh, I mean, it's kind of on the ref for saying to Diego that it would be ruled a disqualification. Michel Pereira, I love him. I I think he's great for entertainment and everything like that. I mean, when he does that backflip somersault, if you land on your opponent's head, you're going to get disqualified. I don't know if under the rule set that we have in North America or for the UFC, I don't know if UFC fans deserve this guy because the way that he fights, there shouldn't be any rules. Like, it's just no rule type of, uh, of approach to the game, which makes it wildly entertaining and all of that stuff. If Diego Sanchez, they're basically dangling, here's $100,000. We're dangling $100,000. If he says, yeah, I'm ready to go, I'm not getting paid nearly as much after this. But because he gets the DQ, he gets his win bonus with his paycheck. Okay. Like, it, it's, so let's Diego say- Sanchez has been in so many wars. I, can't, I saw a lot of people really shitting on him, and it's just like, man, the amount of wars that Diego... Diego has put his life on the line for this, and he says that he can't see... I'm sorry. I'm, I'm. I tend to have. I'm going to side with the guy who's been a warrior for the last 15 years. Yeah, I agree. I if he says he can't it's see, how, it's this how is Diego. It, it's how it came about. It's the fact sure. that Herzog tells him, "Yo, here's how it's laid it's out." It's going to be a disqualification. And by the way, by the way, I hear what you're saying. So you're not not going to get it. Like you know, you're yeah, thinking a lot of in your head, you're going, argument. "I have a lot of bills to pay. There's no way I'm winning this fight at this point. Like it's pretty much over." Okay. This guy's honing in to finish me off. Let me put you on the spot then, right? Let's say that $100,000 win bonus was already cooked into his show money. And there's nothing... If he did that in that situation? No, do you think he would have? Or do you think he only did it for the $100,000? I think he did it for his paycheck. You think that's the only reason? I mean, maybe he just couldn't see as well. No, I think he takes a regardless. I think he can't see very well. I think this is a guy that's lost his last two fights in the UFC. He looks 
increasingly fucking worse every time you see him. Mm-hmm. He did nothing in that fight against Pereira except throw two somersault kicks and try to evade punches with open hands. He would run, like sprint in. He's he on sprinted a in line. on a straight line. Yeah, yeah, and that was the most action he did for the most part, right? Like Absolutely. He looked, it was really, really bad. Now, here's, here's my problem with it. I get the whole, you take the $100,000, I get the whole, he needed to win, they're probably going to cut him or release him after this. The guy got divorced, he's probably got alimony and a bunch of other bills that you're not thinking of. This is not a very, like... Yeah, but I we, think, we, no, I think Herzog took the wrong fucking approach. Okay, yeah. first, first and foremost, Herzog he letting he him know that to it's going to be a disqualification. Yeah, that's is pro- not that's, that's information prom- you should have. That, the information should be: I, I can't tell you what the situation would be right now. All I will say is that: Can you see? Can you continue to fight? Okay, and then he tells you: No, I can't. But the fucking doctor just told you: Yeah, he's fine to continue because the doctor looked in his eye and said he doesn't have any blood in his eye. He's looking; his pupil's looking right at me. There's no, there's no coronary. Uh, Eyes like, are weird, though. Fair. We don't know. We're not Diego Sanchez. I'm saying the doctor says, "Yo, the guy's good to continue." There's like what a minute and a half left in the round. He's. Losing the first two rounds is understatement. I don't got, know. Just got I don't know if they were very 10-8. illegally. Like it's an illegal shot. Yeah, it's an illegal shot. But I think you. I think you have to look at it like this. Here's a guy that has not won one second of this fight, he and not, he gets twice the amount of pay if he says, "No, I'm done." We're it's good. a no contest. It's a no contest. Whether you thought it was an illegal knee or you, it obviously it was an illegal. It knee. wasn't as egregious as yeah, the other it was, one. Er- it was earlier it was, in the night. The Brock was, Weaver one was like, like he. F- he knocked him out. He knocked him out. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know what the difference there is? As soon as it happened, he waved it off, and I was like, "Ah, oh, dude." Her- I thought Herzog's doing the right move. Herzog's giving Diego the five minutes. Herzog's assessing the situation, whereas this guy just waved it off. But in hindsight, it's like, no, no, no. Brock Weaver went limp, and he saw that, so he's just like, "There's no discussion to be had." All he's going to do is wake up and try to argue why he can continue. I'm going to wave this off before he can do that. In Sanchez's case, it's like they're asking him, like, "Yo, yo, you're good, you're good," and that's when he plays the veteran tactic of like. Oh, I don't know, man. I don't know. Can it's I talk like, to my team? Yeah. Yeah, it's like I've seen him fight Martin Campman with two eyes completely swollen shut. I've seen this guy go through all of the damage in the world. He's known as a bleeder. He's known as a warrior. He says in his pre-fight interview, you know, this is sacred ground in New Mexico where the Aztecs fought, and I'm looking to spill some blood in this land, on this ground, just not my own. And then he proceeds to put on an abysmal performance and takes that way out. I wish it was a no contest. Not just because of the betting that was online. It's that it's hard to reward a guy who got straight fucked up. Now, now, here's now the precedent that you. I mean, set. I lost money here's the pres- on, here's for the, the record. Like, yeah. Why I would had why would anybody why would anybody who gets dick kicked or or gets kneed in the head or gets poked in the eye why would anybody want to continue? Yeah. Because Herzog just set a precedent of well, it wasn't a legal move, which all those things I just named are. It wasn't a legal move. If you say you can't continue. Then you win the fight. Yeah. So it's a bad precedent to set. The no contest would have been like, fuck. I think it's, yeah, I I would have, well, from financially, I would have preferred that it was, like, that was a pretty bad beat. Um, And the UFC was well on his way to win. And you were right, actually. He was a, he still had some of his crazy antics and stuff like that. But he was definitely a lot more reserved in this fight than he was because he was scared of getting taken down. He knew that Diego's only chance to beat him was if he got top control and, w- and put it on a grappling clinic. Yeah, and you know what? That, that 
worked in his favor on the one hand that if he didn't look that bad, it went way against him on he needed to knock out Diego as quick as possible. Because Otherwise, the longer he spends the time long- in there, the closer he's going yeah. to get to getting disqualified. Because we are fighting in North America under the unified yeah. rules. This guy is made for Ryzen. Because I get that backflip thing. It's really fun watching. He lands on somebody's head there. He's going to get disqualified. Like, Dude, there's a ton the of problem is UFC fans don't for. deserve Michelle Pereira. That's where I really think. Yeah, listen. Uh, the rule is, set here is not is not working for him, which sucks because not enough people. If he goes over to Ryzen, I'm sure you know in the Japanese market people like it. But like, let's face it, the North American fan base just doesn't travel over there. Like North American fan base will lose track of this guy completely if he's not anywhere except for like UFC or Bellator. Yeah, okay, so I agree and I disagree. One thing I didn't like about the New Mexico card, the Rio Rancho card, is right off the top of the broadcast, they're like, uh, replays are not in effect and the new rules are not in effect. So it's like Diego on one knee is a legal strike in some fucking commissions, but it's an illegal, illegal strike in that commission. And the way this motherfucker fights, he don't know the rules. He's just going out there and putting it on the line. So we always used to talk about banana peel pricing, you know? It doesn't matter how big of a favorite are, you could just lose. My new thing if you have poor ring IQ, is Michelle Pereira pricing. Is that, like, him and Andre Sukumatath? It's like, they just find a fucking way, dude. <laughs> I don't know how they do it, but they find a fucking way to shit in the pie. By the way, that card, you watch this show and you're following it along, you're probably like, this pie is fucking really good. <laughs> wow, this pie is really good. And, uh, yeah, Pereira and Corey Anderson subsequently both fucking... Shit in the pot. It wasn't a bad night. It was I a stayed good away event. from Anderson. Yes, it was, it, was, it was a good event. And you also had those, like, when you're talking about, um, you had those events, uh, Valentina Shevchenko with Lando Oh, Vinata. Lando. And you had I, you know what? That was, so, no, so no, no, when no, I no. got that, he was plus 115, uh, but I parlayed it with Shevchenko, which gave me 142. And I just thought, and it really did play out that way. It was a pick em fight. And I was just getting plus money on it and trying to get more money on to Valentina, like minus 750, because yeah. that line was just stupid. And, and, and here's something with the Lando fight, right? And it I was, was a pick-em. Like, yeah, and I was heated in the moment, and I tweeted about it. I was heated in the moment, but I was basically like, yo, this guy's classic Lando looks good for three minutes and then falls right off the fucking rails. Dancing. Right. He, he fought, he fought what, a, what somebody at the bar <laughs> watching at a Boston Pizza would suggest was also a post-post game plan. But I understood that one. It was like, you need to evade. He needs a win. There's no sense in standing with this mm-hmm. guy who's just looking to throw those he- heaters. He fought a good distance game. It was a boring fight. He di- his stock does not go up. No. But I understood it. Diego physically lost every second of the fight. And he got the win out of the whole yeah. thing. That was the only thing that was like somewhat. And, and, and my last point, and then we can walk away. The, the worst part for me on a personal level about Diego Sanchez winning that fight, I like Diego Sanchez. I love tough, Diego. Tough, I, that's why I said I'm not going to talk smack about Diego no, no, Sanchez no, 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 getting but, what's his. Right. And, and all I'm going to say is I love Diego Sanchez. He's a tough one winner. I mean, he's fought 185 pounds for our amusement. He's fought 170 pounds for our amusement. He's fought 155 pounds for our amusement. Hell, one time he tried to fight 145 pounds against Ricardo Lamas for our amusement. The guy said some wacky shit. He's got nothing there. He's put it on. He's as old as Juan Espino. So the guy that won season one of The Ultimate Fighter is the same age as the guy that won the very last season of The Ultimate Fighter. He's got more wars than anybody. He doesn't owe us anything. And you know what? Maybe it wasn't puss-puss tactic because he doesn't owe us shit. He's given us so many fight of the nights. Mm-hmm. I get that, right? The toughest part of me, though, is he would have lost and he should have lost. If he would have lost... I think that would have been the end of Diego mm-hmm. Sanchez. And I think that's the right move. 
Mm-hmm. Instead, we've got some weird-ass coach in his ear who, Lord knows what the fuck is going on there, man. But it's a very bad look. He's looked worse than he has in years. His, like, spirit coach? Yeah, like, he can't keep taking punches and kicks to the head. And, yeah, it's a win on his record, but it's very much an ass-kicking that he took. And, like, I don't, I don't know where the guy's at. What I, him winning ensures that he'll probably get another fight. And that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's the yeah, biggest thing I don't want. Anymore. He shouldn't fight. No. If I'm Dana and them, I'm saying, you know what? This you is one of the guys that you're going to have to step... Bonus? Remember when, he, when oh, Dana yeah. had to step in and talk to Chuck? Because Chuck was like... Diego won't do that. That's, that's the kind of conversation that would have to happen. Now, that being said, if the UFC released Diego, he probably just goes and signs with whoever else and continues to fight. Diego, you can't stop a man from, from working if he thinks he can still dude, do it. Okay, but here's the problem with him, right? You have to save him for himself. And, like, who can do that? I don't know. Especially with this, like, butt toucher in his ear being like, oh, this is how you got to go about it. But, like, after Diego's last fight in the UFC, he lost, Okay. He contacted Dave LeDuc, who's the Canadian lethweight champion. He fights in, in Burma, you know, Myanmar, and he's the lethweight champion. He contacted Dave LeDuc and apparently said, bring me out to, to Burma for some Burmese bare-knuckle boxing. He wanted to go and fight lethweight in Myanmar. Dave LeDuc went on Joe Rogan's podcast and mentioned that. It was like, yeah, Diego, contact me. He wants to fight lethweight, which is everything's well you're allowed to headbutt it's like muay thai but you're allowed to headbutt a couple other different variations shorter rounds all that shit but mostly it's just you're allowed to headbutt knee elbow everything else um and he wasn't out of contract he ended up signing this contract to fight for Pereira like shortly thereafter so it makes no sense to me why is this guy angling for fights that pay a fraction of what he's getting in the ufc when he's still under contract like i don't want to say he's crazy because everybody knows he's crazy but i mean like it's getting worse man and at least when he was with Greg Jackson and them, it's like, here's guys that have been with him for 20 years that know exactly who he is as a person and as a fighter and are going to give him an adequate game plan. But, like, now he's just, like, I don't know. He's going to end up broke living under a bridge. And, like, that's, that's what I don't want to see. He does he not deserve That's why he needs his $100,000. But best-case scenario, would he have lost? It's not going to end well no. for him. Best-case so scenario. I'm happy to see more money go into his bank account because he's going to need it down the line. But best-case like, case scenario would have been. Any sort of office and get an office job. Like oh, that guy's a fighter, and that's and then I don't know what he does afterwards. Like he goes on such long winded tangents. Anytime you ask him anything, I don't. It'd be really hard to hire that guy in any sort of work environment. No, I know this is sure. that just took a real sad tone, but it did. For it sure, is like this guy is not made for most things in regular part of society. Like the guy's a fighter. He's born to be a fighter, and it's kind of sad seeing the um, the end of the road. Or at least the end of the the peak, because you know with him, he's probably going to continue to fight. Anyway. Well, that's what you don't want to see. And like you said, with him, he doesn't know anything else. So, like, what could this guy possibly do? Exactly. But uh, best case scenario, when he would have told the ref, you know what, I can continue. And would have lost. And Dana and them, if they weren't fucking dickheads anymore back in the day, they would have done this back they in the day. Think- they would have said, hey, kid. Yeah, you. Thanks for continuing. Thank you for. Continuing. We're gonna give you your win bonus, anyways. You put it on there. Yeah, you're getting your ass kicked. You did it. You, <laughs> don't tell anyone because we don't want to set a precedent of giving yeah. these fools money. But yeah, just the. You can give him Craig White. You can give him Mickey Gall. In this case, he shouldn't have had that win. But his other wins, you know, he's it's just, giving up a lot of size. We learned like that's what Pereira had so much size on him that. Uh, he couldn't really do anything effective. Yeah, so in the same in the same breath that we talk about BJ Penn needs to hang it up, stop giving him fights, and then you see how like tumultuous his his personal life is. It's like yep. I don't want that from Diego. You know, he's I, he is a good dude. He's a long time veteran. He's put it on the line for us. But like, 
I this remember when we were to Fight Network, Ken Shamrock came in and he said, here's the thing. And this is like, what, six, seven years ago? There was a clip that we had with him and we said, all of these old legends that you know, you're going to start to see, like, he was basically talking about CTE. It was just kind of even before like CTE was like a big issue or not as big of an issue as you see in the NFL and stuff right now. But he was talking about how like a lot of these former legends and stuff are going to, you're going to see you know, them start to get in trouble with the law and see some of these, you know, maybe their head injuries catching up with them. I feel like we're starting to get there. Yeah, yeah. Like, BJ Penn really feels that way. Wow, his is especially bad. But here's, okay, so here's one for you. Let me just get you the exact record. But Shoney Carter, right, Mr. International. Mm -hmm. All the OG fans from back in the day will remember Shoney Carter. Uh, the spinning backfist over Matt Sarah, all that, right? What you don't remember about Shoney Carter is that he just didn't stop fighting, right? He finished his career with a record of 51 wins, 32 losses, 7 draws, right? I was with Shoney, picked him up from the airport. This is his last pro fight two years ago. Retired thereafter. Group of us pick him up from the airport. We got to drive him two hours to the weigh-ins. He's nine pounds overweight. He's eating a bag of fucking, uh, like, uh, what are they, like... It's like a pig skin almost. You can buy them at the corner store. Anyways, he's like eating snack food. Pork rinds? Pork rinds. He's eating pork rinds on the motherfucking way to weigh-ins, and he's nine pounds overweight. It's just like it's not there for him anymore, right? And he's, he's got 100 fights, 32 pro losses. And I remember Rafael Casillas, who's Johnny Bedford's boxing coach, he says to him, he says, Shoney, Shoney, when do you know it's over? When do you know, you know, your career is done? You can't do this anymore. Like, this guy's still going. He's got all this experience, all this. He's shot to bits. He's still going. He said, when do you know it's over? And Johnny Carter says to him, when it starts to hurt. When you're in there, you love to fight. This is what you do. You don't feel it. You know, the, the adrenaline, adrenaline, yeah, adrenaline carries you. Charge right through it. He goes, you get, you get to a stage when you get a little older. Your reflexes are a little bit slower. You think a little bit more in there, even though you're thinking a little bit less in there. He goes, and, and it hurts. And then, and then you know the end is here. Diego had been in more wars than anybody. You know, the fight with Gilbert Melendez, the fight with Jake Ellenberger, the fight with Martin Campman. It's like, this motherfucker Clay put it. Guida. The Clay Guida fight was the, actually like, won a le- fight of the year. It's like legendary. Legendary. I just named four fight of the years, in my opinion. They're all fight of the nights, anyways. And it's just like, this man has put it on the line, right? It didn't seem like he felt, when he was standing toe-to-toe with those guys, he was superhuman. When he, they looked at Herzog in the eye with a hairline cut, he, he was hurting. He was hurt. Yeah. It's over. I don't want to see him do the same thing Shoney did and take a couple more paychecks on the way out. You know, that's, that's what I don't want to see. We'll yeah. leave it at that, right? Yeah. Sad. Sad. Sad times indeed. Yeah. And so Priscilla Ketchawara may catch a, catch a W this week, which is... Catch a W. Never thought those words would ever come to my mouth. But if it's ever going to happen, it's going to happen this week. Cody Safdick. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for breaking down the fights with me, as always, and being a man of your word. Hey, take your hundred dollars back. No, no, your money's no good uh, here. I was willing to give you. I was willing to give you plus two hundred. I was just like, yeah, I gotta still. work on my poker face because, like, what I should have done has been like three to one. How about three point five to one? I should have juiced you. I didn't. I didn't juice you. So yeah, hey, no, take me. that. Take that back. No good jibber. Your money's no good here. Well, except for the two hundred dollars. Oh, that money. That money was still. good. Well, I mean, I was gonna pay you the hundred dollars. So yeah, I'll, I'll take two to one. You, do you take know? $100 do you know back. who's on the fifty dollar bill? Just, just, just you know next, who, next do you know time. Prime Minister is on the bill. Uh, You're a William poor Ryan fucking King. Canadian. Yeah. Okay, you got it. Um, where uh, I was gonna say something. Yeah. Just know. Next time you have questions. 
about somebody may or may not make weight, you've got the way in tout sitting right across. Okay. Right across. I'm going to put you on the spot here. This would be an easy one. Will anybody on the card miss weight? Nothing jumps off the page this week. Yeah, but you've got, you've got 26 fighters, so the odds of one of them missing weight would be in your favor. Dilema's a heavyweight now, so you don't got to worry about that. Um, I'm, I, I'm, I'm staring at, like, Dodson. Or Dobson. Um, yeah, eh? Potential, maybe, for her to miss weight? I could be wrong there. Um, yeah, Cachoeira, she needs that money so bad that, like, sh- that, that chick will not miss weight. I can yeah, I don't that. see anybody missing weight, to be honest. If they anybody look- does, it's uh, Shayna Dobson. Real professional-looking that's, that's the one I'm pointing out. But this is not a rate board. Like, you should have... That should have been, like, a 50-50 pro- proposition. I was feeling very <laughs> oh, confident guy, that he was going to miss weight. The guy was on record saying, if I miss weight, I'll never fight again. I'll leave MMA behind. That guy has always been a flake. Uh, and I know he's had other issues, and I don't want to attack the guy too much. But, like... Yeah. He's always yeah, been yeah, a yeah, bit yeah. flaky on things. Let's call a space. Right, speed. right. However, the one thing I will give is we did mention on the show, we're like, the only reason if he would come in overweight is it would be a great game plan in this grappler versus grappler fair. I still bet for it, by yeah, the way. Yeah, yeah, like, we I did. bet against And we had him on DraftKings. <laughs> and I had him, like, I, I felt even like, slightly better. Maybe not that much better. Uh, he did look he pretty cruised. bad at the weigh-ins. But, like, yeah, yeah he he's a great grappler. He's talented. But the problem is that skill for him it doesn't translate to 135 the same way. Well, he won his last two fights. One of them, he also missed weight. Yeah, but, like, I mean, at the top of the division, he actually yeah. has a shot if it's at 125. That that game plan can work really well for him. Well, anyway. that's why I thought he could be a world champion at 125. He would be just another guy at 135. That's why they're devoted to making it. I make the bet. Turns out, my biggest takeaway from the whole year of betting not just don't bet on Ray Bork's fat ass to make weight when you know he just doesn't. Bad don't bet on weight-related matters with a guy named Keto Paul. Fuck. Keto Paul knows it all. Guy lost 100 pounds himself. Why am I, I arguing about weight with Paul Shaughnessy? Fuck. I wasn't, what a bonehead wasn't, move. 100 pounds would be a lot. I definitely wasn't. I wasn't 300 pounds. Well, or even, yeah. 260. I'm not 160 right now. What's the lowest you've gotten since the keto? 179. What's the heaviest you've ever been in your life? 260. So what, 80 pounds? Yeah. Well, like that, yeah, 260. Yeah, there's a well, family sorry photo. Sorry for saying 100 the pounds. Family photo that, that they had that it's like, I'm wearing this like blue shirt, and like that blue shirt would probably be like a moo moo <laughs> if I put it on right now. Anyway, <laughs> thanks to Cody, as always, breaking down the fights with me. Thanks to producer Zach Penser behind the sticks, back in the, back in the mix here for Cody and Zach. I'm Paul saying goodbye and good luck. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.